your ride ready for spring driving with Dobbs Spring Break Deals. Money saver deals you can use on Goodyear, Pirelli, Cooper, Michelin, and General Tires. Expert auto service, too. Click on GoToDobbs.com for spring break deals now. For over two decades, E&B Granite has been St. Louis's trusted name for kitchen, bathroom, and outdoor space renovations that are guaranteed to bring new life into your living spaces. Their skilled team will provide you with personalized customer service, fast turnaround times, and prices you won't find with big box stores. Support local and schedule free consultation at enbgranite.com or call them at 314-645-9300 or better yet, stop by the showroom and explore their massive inventory. Again, that's enbgranite.com. This is the Character and Smallman podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's Character and Smallman. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman, Randy Character, with you. It's seven o'clock. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And uh, we have learned in the last 10 minutes, the bulletin coming in officially, <laughs> that Michelle Smallman is back on 75 hard, but it's 30 hard, and we, we'll call it 30 harder. So it's miserable. We, we, we told you that she was going to get off at Christmas time. She got wine. She got uh, <laughs> fun, so, yeah, fun stuff uh, to partake of over the course of the holidays. And now we learned that Sunday you started up doing this miserable stuff again? Yeah, it's called phase one. And I don't know why I hate myself so much (laughs) that I keep putting my body through this. But you get used to the 75 hard routine. Once you complete it, that's 75 days that you did the same thing every day. And it really does become ingrained in you. Mm -hmm. So then I, as you mentioned, took some time off. Probably got a little too loose on my (laughs) diet and uh, a little too sedentary over that time gained a few back and I just thought you know what I did not suffer for 75 days to let all of this go to waste (laughs) so there's another part of 75 hard it's called phase one and it's where you do everything you did for 75 days plus you add a couple more things on it to really just crank up the percentage on the misery index and I'm on day three and it's 100% chance of rain tomorrow and it's going to snow the next two days so it might only be a three day endeavor but I just figured I might as well try to get back on the wagon congratulations because you got back quicker and more successfully than I did (laughs) After after you after quit? my twenty seven days, I was out. Are you still out? Oh, big time! <laughs> yeah, come on, I still got bonbons left over. <laughs> yeah, you handed me some candy or some holiday treats that yeah. we had in the office that I didn't have over the break, <laughs> and that was really difficult yesterday to say no to those. <laughs> let me tell you, Michelle, we spent a lot of yesterday morning talking about the San Diego Padres acquisition of Blake Snell from the Tampa Bay Rays. That trade yet to be official. But one that is official is that the Chicago Cubs have traded Hugh Darvish, along with his personal catcher, Victor Caratini, to the Padres in exchange for Zach Davies, who is kind of like a poor man's Kyle Hendricks. He's 50 and 36 for his career with a 3.79 ERA with the Brewers and the Padres. And he's been tough on the Cardinals over the years. Uh, Davies, along with four prospects, none of whom were in the Padres' top 10 prospect list. So San Diego takes on the salary of you, Darvish. And for the next season, they will have Darvish, Snell, uh, Lamette. Uh, they, they've got a really good Chris Paddock. Uh, on their pitching staff, they got a really good pitching staff. And they're going to bring along their number one prospect, Mackenzie Gore. And notable here... 
from a Cardinals fan's perspective is that they acquired two catchers at the deadline last mm-hmm. year. They still have those two. And now they get Victor Caratini, who's probably going to catch 40, at least 40, maybe more games. I don't know if they look at him as their number one guy, but he'll at the very least split time with Nola, whom they acquired from Seattle and they really like, which diminishes to me the possibility of Yadier Molina going to the Padres. Same here. I was reading about this, and there was a couple things I thought. First, I thought, great, get you Darvish as far away from the NL Central as possible. Mm -hmm. I love that the Padres are going for it. I really respect them, especially during a pandemic, pushing all the chips in and saying, okay, we really like this team we have. We are going to do whatever it takes to get over that hump and compete for a World Series. And I thought to myself, did this decision just get made for Yadier Molina? It may have. It might have backed him into a corner. He might have to, unless there is a surprise team out there, and there very well could be. A mystery team? A mystery team. He, he had mentioned the Angels in the past. Do the Angels have as good a chance to win as the Cardinals? Probably, because neither team has a chance to win the World Series in 2021. So his chances of winning on either either team are about equal, I would think. Unless he's going to the Dodgers or the Yankees, or maybe if the Nationals don't wind up with Real Muto, maybe they look at Yadier. But as we sit here on December 29th, it's clear that his options have diminished because the Yankees kept Gary Sanchez, the Mets signed McCann, the Padres now have Victor Caratini. The one team that never gets mentioned that I'm surprised hasn't been is the White Sox. Which is always on the table, as far as I'm concerned, with Tony La Russa in the mix. And a chance to win. And a chance to win, correct. It does check a lot of boxes if you're Yadi or Molina. A a reunion of sorts, Mm -hmm. too. But... It is, it is kind of like a game of musical chairs where all of a sudden the chairs are getting pulled away and you, you notice the Cardinals chair is next to you mm-hmm. and it's a very desirable location, but you might not want to take that. You might you might be over that, that destination, but I just wonder which of the factors that are important to him are going to rise to the top. Is it really about winning? Is it about money? Is it about uh, respect or you feeling wanted? I don't, I don't know what that answer is. Only Yadi or Molina can answer that. But his options seemingly are dwindling. And it does seem like the Cardinals right now are the best option left on the table. The best chair left out on the dance floor. I want to make one other quick point here. The Padres have a new owner who was just approved on November 18th. And Peter Seidler is his name. In San Diego, the Chargers never won a Super Bowl before they moved to L.A. The Padres have never won a World Series. It's a city that's never had a world championship. And here's a guy that is from Southern California and appears to be intent upon bringing San Diego its first championship. It's got to be cool for a fan base because this doesn't happen very often. By the way, it did happen in San Diego once with the Padres for a year and then they traded everybody. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't happen very often in sports where your team does go for it for a year. Yeah, it's got to be awesome, especially with a team like that that is already exciting and brings electricity and they were in the postseason and they have young superstars. They have people that you genuinely are pumped about, not only for next season, but for years to come. And then the team says, okay, we believe in this nucleus enough that we're going for it. Mm -hmm. Who cares what the Dodgers are doing? We're good enough that we're going to close that gap. I love that. If you're a Padres fan, how could you not love that? It's awesome. Right. And, and that's they, what we want here in St. Louis. That's, that's why they built up the system so that they can make moves like this and go for it. Michelle, 
We all thought it was natural for the Blues to promote Ryan O'Reilly to their captaincy. Great leader, first guy on the ice, last guy off the ice, first guy at the facility every morning. He helps young players, teaches young players, obviously never gives anything less than his best effort. But Vladimir Tarasenko told Sports 24 over in Russia, quote, of course, when you play for eight years at a club and have been an assistant for a long time, you count on it, it becoming captain. Schwartz and I have been playing for the longest in St. Louis of the guys on the team now. I think it's okay to count on certain leadership positions after eight years at the club, but everyone has their own opinion. Alexei Dementiev, his Russian agent, expressed it and has every right to do so. I personally focus on recovering from injury because there are so many people who say that Tarasenko will never play the same way. I have a tremendous incentive to come back and prove these people were wrong. Should Vladimir Tarasenko, simply because he has seniority on this team, be disappointed that he didn't get the C? I think it's fair for him to be disappointed. Because if you have been on this team a long time and you've been a leader in certain ways, you do feel like you might be next in line. But I think if we've learned anything about this St. Louis Blues team, and especially the way Craig Berube runs things, that you have to earn that spot. Nothing is handed to you. You have to earn everything, including the letter on your sweater. And I actually respect Vladdy for being honest about the way that he feels. I respect him for caring so much about being a leader on this team that he wanted that position, that this is something he coveted. I I wouldn't expect him or while he did say, yeah, I'm already thinking about proving other people wrong. I'm back to focusing on the injury. I would want another member of my team to say, yeah, that's something that I want. I want to be a leader because guess what? When he gets back out on the ice, he's going to take that energy and he's going to apply it to the way that he plays and the way that he interacts with his teammates. Your biggest star should absolutely wear a letter. There's no doubt. And Tarasenko has worn a letter for a long time. And if you are the biggest star and you show that propensity to be a really hard worker and a face of the franchise guy, which can't be dismissed when you wear the C, you have to talk to the media every game day, before and after. And Vladdy has shown a propensity to not want to interact with the fans through the media. He disappears a lot. Petrangelo, Bacchus, they're always there Mm -hmm. uh, on game day, before and after the games. O'Reilly is always there, even when he wasn't wearing a letter. So that is just part of it, is being the public face of the franchise and not brooding and being upset when the team loses or things aren't going your way. A guy like Sidney Crosby clearly has the entire package, right? He's their best player, but he's willing to be the face of the franchise as well. Ovechkin. In Washington, same way. Face of the franchise, meets with the, uh, does all the things necessary. Hard worker, uh, presents himself as the face of the franchise, best player. I think it's more important to be a leader and to wear the C, to be the leader of the team. I think it's actually more important to do the other things well than be the best player. I think it's more important to be a guy like Bacchus. Uh, uh, be a guy like Brian Sutter. Brian Sutter was never, not one year, was the best player on his team. Bernie Federico, every single year that Brian Sutter played was the best player on his team. Brian always wore the C because the C, to me, defines leadership. Mm-hmm. And while I respect Vladdy's opinion and I respect him wanting to wear the C, how can you wear the C when you're not even going to be on the ice with your teammates right. for a, a portion of the season? That's going to be really difficult for you to lead and for you to speak to the media and do all the things that a captain is required to do when you're not there. Michelle, what's the most important ability 
Availability, Randy. Thank you very much. Yeah, he, and through no fault of his own, he's been an incredibly durable player until last year. Even with the surgery that he had in 2018, before 2018, 2019, he only missed like six games. So he's been an incredibly durable player, but he did only play 10 games last year, and he's going to miss at least a couple of months this year. So it just wasn't the right move at the right time for the Blues. I think the right move at the right time was made when they named Ryan O'Reilly as their captain. Agreed. But I do like this fire that we're seeing from too. Tarasenko about the fact that he's proving people wrong, the fact that right. he feels slighted. Whatever he needs to motivate himself to go through this rehab and be the Vladimir Tarasenko that he once was when he returns to the ice, I'm all for Michelle, it. Michelle, he will never be the same. And let's get him this audio <laughs> so he can have it on loop. Bulletin board third, material. Third shoulder surgery. He'll never be what he was. We can't can't count on that at all. No, the expectations are not there. But don't you think if you're in his shoes or his skates that you need to have that fire to prove people wrong? I would rather him be coming out and saying all this stuff and saying I should have been the captain because I want passion. I don't want apathy. I wouldn't want him to say, hey, I'm not going to be on the ice. I don't want to be the captain. No, you don't want that out of somebody that you expect to be a star for you and that you expect to have a certain level of cachet in your organization. All I'm saying is it's great to have fire, great to have motivation, better to have a functioning shoulder. That's true. That's true. Can't argue with that. Feel really bad for Patriots fans and the Patriots this morning. Patriots were swept by the Bills for the first time since 1999. 38-9 to on Monday Night Football. You feel bad for the Patriots, oh, yeah, Randy, do you? Pa- Pats fans, I feel for you. You feel for him. Oh, yeah. When Belichick threw that phone last night, I thought, it was is, the best. is Randy just <laughs> gleeful right now? <laughs> it was the best. That was awesome. Other football news, Dwayne Haskins released by Washington. Uh, Joe Buck referred to him as the master of fun during his telecast <laughs> the other day. Dwayne out uh, his girlfriend's birthday party with strippers, mm-hmm. but without a mask. Interesting dynamic there with the girlfriend's birthday party being with strippers. And a group a group of women wearing his jerseys, yeah, right? Yeah. 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 There, it was an interesting cocktail of things going on there. And then he didn't play well, and they cut him yesterday. And I wonder if he will find himself to another NFL team. I wonder if he'll get another chance as well, because everything we're hearing coming out of Washington was this wasn't just a football move. This was about the person as much as it was about Mm -hmm. the performance. And he is young. He does obviously have some sort of skill. I wonder if this is a wake up call for him, if he's getting a jolt of reality that he's not going to be able to just do whatever he wants and have no consequences applied. But I can imagine another team taking a flyer on him as a backup and seeing what he can do. I, I certainly hope that for his sake, this isn't the end of his NFL career, because if, if so, very short lived. You have the second pick in the NFL draft, and you know what has happened with Braxton Miller, quarterback at Ohio State, who became a wide receiver. You've seen what happened with Cardale Jones. You've seen what happened with Haskins. You've seen what happened with Terrell Pryor. He became a wide receiver. Are you taking the Ohio State quarterback, Justin Fields, with the number two pick? I am. Because I'm not. You're not? Nope. Because of the lineage there? Yep. I, I would like to judge every person individually, every player individually. And with that skill set, I'm taking a chance. Because, hey, he could be the one that's different. He could be the one that mm-hmm. changes everything. And the most important currency in sports, Randy, is a franchise quarterback. And I would roll the dice on that every time. I would, uh, you know what? I'd be more inclined if I had the second pick in the draft to take Kyle Trask. Wow. And he, Trask, 
he's got the one-year body of work. Now, it might, it might be a one-year body of work like Joe Burrow, but that's what Haskins got drafted on was one-year uh, body of work. And a personal relationship, maybe. Well, that helped. His son <laughs> went to high school with, uh, or Dan Snyder's son went to high school with Haskins. Bill Parcells had a rule when drafting quarterbacks to take have the guy have at least 30 starts in college under his belt. I still, even though it doesn't happen very often, that's why I would have been really messed up when Kyler Murray was at the top of the draft board. But I think I would still be inclined to abide by that rule if I were a pro scout, a general manager. I want to see that guy play a lot in college, give him as much of a palette to evaluate as possible. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Next up, we've got... A little bit of what's better. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. What's better is next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. and Smallman welcome your texts to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. You can always leave us a mic drop with the Rhino Shield mic drop feature. That's with your free 101 ESPN app. And you can also use the socials as well. Michelle is on the Instagram and the Twitter at M. Smallman. Randy is on Twitter at Randy Carricker and on the Instagram machine at RJ Carricker. Your what's betters for us and here's Tanner Hendrickson. Tanner, what do you got? From the 314 What's better for my New Year's Eve party, beef tenderloin or prime rib? I'm going to go beef tenderloin, Michelle, because I am just not a huge prime rib guy. I, I, hmm. And I, I do like a, a, a well-prepared beef tenderloin, so I would just go that way. Which, which cut of meat is the one that we use the horseradish sauce with? Prime rib. Then I'm going prime rib. Okay. Strictly because of condiments. Okay. It's... Prime rib kind of reminds me of the Flintstones, you know, just a <laughs> giant uh, cut of meat. So I, I'm more of just a a regular, like, I'll, I'll go ribeye, I'll go a New York strip mm-hmm. before I'll go prime rib. Nice. From the 314, what's better, a broken down, talented quarterback or a talented quarterback that's a head case? Well, I'd rather have a talented quarterback that isn't injured, so I'll take the head case. I'm going to take the the broken down guy and hope that he's available for 10 games. The head case is never going to work out for me. He's never going to win. Head case quarterbacks just don't win. He, as talented as Jeff George was, an Illini guy from back in the day. That's right. But he, with his exceptional talent, was a head case and teammates didn't like him, coaches didn't like him, and it just never worked out, even when he played reasonably well. But if you have a broken down Peyton Manning at the end of his career who can't do anything, he can still help will a team to victory by not doing stupid things. Yeah, great defense helps because yeah. he was. <laughs> yep, but so, don't if you don't give the ball up, that's half the battle. I'm trying to quickly run through my brain and think of a head case quarterback that was talented enough to where the the drama and the chaos of the head case stuff didn't matter. And I can't think of one off the top of my head. 65780, if you can come up with one. I don't know if we could consider Jim McMahon at the time he was a Super Bowl quarterback, a head case. He was eccentric, but everybody loved him in that building. We're we're talking about guys like Haskins or George, where you just, even Tony Banks when he was here, 
guys that don't show up for practice, that stay in Miami to go to their girlfriend's birthday party or do what Haskins did. You can't be the leader of a, fr- a franchise and have that franchise succeed when you do that. This doesn't work. Okay, t- two into the text line quickly. Michael Vick. Never went to a Super Bowl. Donovan McNabb. I don't think Donovan McNabb was a head case at all. I think he was a really good leader. He was kind of goofy with football, like not knowing that they had the game ended at the end of overtime. But there was never any outside issue with Donovan McNabb and beyond being within the building. In fact, everything was awesome with McNabb until T.O. showed up. What about this one? Last one, and then we'll move okay. on. Jay Cutler. Again, never went to a Super Bowl. That's a perfect example of a head case quarterback that nobody liked that just couldn't get the team over the hump. I wonder if he really was a head case or he just did his own thing. He didn't play by the rules. Well, uh, who was it a couple of weeks ago that said he was the worst leader he'd ever been around? Oh, that's right. Oh, gosh. Devin Hester? No, it wasn't Hester. I I thought it was. Was it? I I thought he was on a radio show and said, yeah, Yeah, he's the worst, worst leader I've ever been around. And that's a part of the quarterback's job. From the 636, what's better, a superstar athlete that never wins in the playoffs or a third or fourth liner that knows that is known as a playoff performer? I'm always taking the big game guy. Me too. Give me yep. give me a Nick Foles that got it done in the, yep. the postseason, even if, he, if the carriage turns into a pumpkin during the regular season. If he can somehow turn it on in the postseason and it, it gets you to that place, I'm going with that guy all day. Hurricanes have Mr. Game 7. Guy named uh, Justin Williams, who's not a great. He, again, he's a really good leader. Not a great regular season player, but man, he steps up come playoff time. I, I'm always taking the playoff guy. From the six three six, what's better, Home Alone one or Home Alone two? Ooh, that's a really good one because I'm, both are great. Yeah, I, I'm going with Home Alone one simply because it was cutting edge and new and different, something that we had never seen before. And obviously Home Alone 2 was a lot more of the same, just in a different location. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to choose one as well because of the Midwest feel, because it's based outside of Chicago. While it's fun to watch him run through New York and mm-hmm. be in his uncle's renovated or currently under renovation townhouse, I like the, the Midwest feel more. Yeah. Does the Division of Family Services get called after number two, by the way? You would think so. Yeah, I would think so. I was uh, doing a Peloton ride the other day, and they were talking about Home Alone, the instructor was. Think about how rich that family was, that they had all of those people in their house, mm-hmm. that they flew to Paris for their vacation. They're in first class. They go, They had gifts shipped over for everybody. Yeah. She, The mom's haggling her watch and her earrings and all her jewelry to get back to see her kid and is able to even have the money to fly back early. I mean, and, they were working with some serious capital, those McAllisters. And they had the uh, financial wherewithal to charter a plane. If, That's right. If the person at the desk would have been able to pull it off, they could have chartered a plane back to Chicago. There you go. What's better on New Year's Day, the college football playoff, or if we had a winter classic? College football playoff. Yeah, I'm going to go with the college football playoff, too. I think it's going to be fun. I, I really do enjoy that, and I enjoy... I'm one of the people that enjoy the bowl game still on New Year's Day. So as much as I love being at the Winter Classic, I think it's better being there. But on a normal day, if I'm watching a Winter Classic from Soldier Field or Fenway Park, I'd rather watch a bowl game. Yeah. Give me the game with implications. Yeah. Not that I don't flip back and forth between both. 
But once a hockey game starts, even though it's outdoors, it's just a hockey game unless you're there. From the 618, what's better, Christmas vacation or Christmas story? Mm, I'm going Christmas vacation. I'm going to go Christmas story. Wow, why? Kind of classic and just I, I like the legitimacy of Ralphie getting in trouble. Uh, and causing problems. You don't think that the Griswolds and what they dealt with on Christmas in a normal non-pandemic year is reality? Everybody has their kooky Uncle Eddie that comes over in the RV. Well, see, well, that, 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 that's why I went with the legitimacy because what, Ralph, what happened with the Christmas story could really happen um, you have to live in Jeffco for what happened in a Christmas <laughs> vacation to happen, right? No, but everybody has, I mean, think about that scenario where it's the the nuclear family, both parents on each side, the crazy uncle. Everybody's got that moment where they're getting together and they say, oh, is cousin so-and-so going to be there? Yeah, for Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. So, I'm, I'm still going to go with the Christmas story. Right. We have controversy here. All right. Thank you, Tanner. Thank you. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. We're looking back at the decade coming up. We've got the best of 2017 on Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. As we look back at the last decade of sports, Today, we look at 2017, and Michelle, there was a lot that went on in 2017, starting with the Cardinals and Blues, both not having their best years. The Cardinals, 83-79. and 79. They lost to Milwaukee in the second to the last day of the season. If they would have won that game, the Cardinals would have played for a wild card spot on the final day of the year. Tommy Pham, the team MVP. Paul DeYoung led the team in homers. Yadi Molina in RBIs. Pham in batting average. But overall, kind of disappointing that the Cardinals... Missed the playoffs for the second year in a row. We're not used to that here. No, we are not. And I was in Connecticut at the time. What was the state of Cardinal Nation at that time? Oh, up in arms. Absolutely. I'm assuming. I can only imagine. Yeah, you you can't win just 83 games and then finish third in the division either. Even though it was down to the wire? Yeah, that doesn't satisfy Cardinal fans. As you know, there is a sense of entitlement here. And especially because it was the Cubs that won the division that made it sting all the all the more yeah that's that's not a comfortable space for cardinal fans to be in the blues also had an interesting season they played in the winter classic on january 2nd beating the blackhawks four to one tie game third period vladdy the take there and the twist by panic started back up might be an odd man rush only one back and it's jalmerson the feed to tarasenko triple one in front they score He has been the man all day, and he has broken the tie. That was loud. 47,000 people watching a hockey game. That's the one event that I was so upset to miss. It was very cool. It could have been better if it would have been a little bit colder and we would have had some snow, the snow globe effect, but it was really cool when Vladdy scored again. Turn right back along again. Letera got it to Tarasenko. Shooting, he scores! Tarasenko again! turnover at the red line by the Blackhawks. Bo Meester with the steal. Fabry with a beautiful little pass. Some help from Laterra and Tarasenko skating left, shoot right. Beats Crawford. I really hope in the future we see a game like this from Vladdy again where he can just take over and dominate. He did dominate that day. It was very cool. It was a great day and it was so much fun. And it was interesting, Michelle, that Less than a month later, the Blues fired Ken Hitchcock as their head coach and replaced him with Mike Yo. 
Which was, were you surprised when that happened? No, we had reached that point. He kind of figured it was just going to happen. He was the successor and waiting type deal, right? Right. And things just did not go well in January. And the Blues wound up actually getting to the playoffs. They beat Minnesota in the first round, but then lost to Nashville in the second round. But they turned it around. They, they just quit listening to Ken Hitchcock, and they turned it around under Mike Yo. Sometimes you just need a, a change of voice. Sometimes you just need that change. And as Blues fans, we're grateful that that change happened because it got us one step closer to the inevitable coach that would get the Blues to the promised land and Craig Berube. Exactly. It was an interesting second year for Barry Odom. Got off to a bad start at Mizzou, but then they won their last six, including a dramatic victory over Arkansas in their regular season finale. We tried once. It came up short. Nonetheless, here goes Missouri trying to win this game. To try and make it a six-game winning streak. McCann. But Tony is the holder. Wise is the snapper. With nine seconds, McCann's field goal is easily good. Missouri grabs the lead with five seconds showing. 48-45. Locke leads him down. McCann finishes it off, making his 10th straight field goal kick. And it would take a minor miracle for Arkansas to pull it off now. Missouri, five seconds away from six straight wins. And you're kind of thinking, okay, Barry Odom has it figured out here. He's got this program going because his first year in following Gary Pinkle, 2016, was not very good. But, man, they really turned it on in the second half of that 2017 season. They did. It it was exciting for Mizzou fans. Even hearing that highlight, I'm thinking, there you have two NFL-caliber players that you're talking about in Tucker McCann and Drew Locke. Right. You had a lot of good things happening, but it didn't turn out, as we will hear in (laughs) later years. Mizzou basketball also was horrible again. They fired Kim Anderson, and they hired Conzo Martin. This is a special day for me. It just feels like home. This is one of those days, uh, as you begin your coaching career, you start thinking, will I ever get an opportunity to coach at a place like Mizzou? And now to be home, just up I-7, is a tremendous feeling. As you all know, I'm a Midwest guy. And to be at home amongst family, friends, loved ones, supporters uh, throughout the state of Missouri is a great, great feeling for me. And Michelle, very soon after he was named the head coach at Mizzou, Conzo Martin was able to recruit the number one basketball player in the country, Michael Porter Jr., who had committed to Washington. They fired Lorenzo Romar, and Michael Porter Sr. was hired as an assistant at Mizzou, and Michael Porter Jr. is brought in. And I don't know that there's ever been as much excitement since the Norm Stewart days around the Mizzou program as there was when they got Michael Porter Jr. to commit. It was incredible. Even back to the day that they hired Conzo Martin as an Illinois girl, I thought, man, that is a great hire. That is a guy that I would have loved to see go to Illinois. He, as he mentioned, is from the area. He knows how to recruit here. He's a guy that can get people to play for him. And it it seems like he was the right choice, obviously, with the way the Mizzou basketball program is trending. But that was a lot of excitement surrounding Mizzou basketball. And unfortunately, we never really got to see the Michael Porter Jr. that Mizzou fans expected. But in that moment, there was a lot of hype. I don't know if Mizzou basketball had been featured on SportsCenter or talked about nationally as much in a long 
long time as they were in that moment. And Porter went into that next season as the preseason SEC player of the year. Not the wow. freshman of the year. He was the preseason co-SEC player of the year. And obviously, Conzo has dealt with a lot of bad luck with the injuries to both Michael and Jonte Porter and some of the defections. But now... He's got his program going a little bit. Mizzou 6-0 to start the season. They're 12th in the country as they will start their conference season tomorrow night against Tennessee. One interesting thing as we went through the state of all of our local sports during that time, Conzo Martin, the only coach still standing of the people that we've talked about. Mike Matheny not with the team. Mike Yo not with the, the Blues anymore. Um, obviously, Barry Odom was not with the, mm-hmm. the football program anymore. Conzo Martin, the only guy left standing. A lot of turnover in, in coaching positions here in St. Louis over the past few years. Pretty amazing. That's a look back at 2017 with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. And coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. We've got a game of Take It or Leave It with Michelle and Randy on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. That text line again, 65780. We'd love to have you participate in Teoli on 101 ESPN with Michelle and Randy. Michelle, with the acquisition of Blake Snell and Hugh Darvish, adding them to a rotation that includes Chris Paddock and Denelson Lamette. Lamette was fourth in the Cy Young voting last year. Darvish was second in the Cy Young voting in the National League last year. Snell has won a Cy Young. Take it or leave it. In a three-game series, you would take Darvish, Snell, and Lamette over Clayton Kershaw, Walker Bueller, and David Price. I think I'm going to take it. I am too. I'm going to take the top three for the Padres over the top three for the Dodgers. Now, the Dodgers, even with as great as the Padres lineup is, Dodgers lineup is still better, but not that much better where you say, the good pitching doesn't offset what the Padres ha- or the Dodgers have. I think the difference in the two teams is going to come down to the bullpens and, and health, obviously. And even though Clayton Kershaw has exercised some of those postseason demons, mm-hmm. I still don't 100% trust him in Can't. those spots. No. So that, that's something that tipped the scales for me. Yeah. Hmm. All right, Randy, last night watching the Patriots-Bills game, you may have noticed that they showed Cam Newton's morning schedule. They talked about Cam Newton's routine. And... Just as a refresher for those who may not have seen it, here's how Cam Newton starts his day. 4.20 a.m., his alarm goes off. 4.30 a.m., he leaves his house. He doesn't drink coffee until 8 a.m. and doesn't go to bed until 11.30 p.m. Take it or leave it. Cam Newton is a liar if he gets up at 4.30 a.m. and says he doesn't drink coffee until 8 a.m. I'm going to leave it. There are other accesses to caffeine rather than just coffee. He could be drinking something else. Like what, soda? Mountain Dew. You think he's going to put soda into his body, Randy? He should. <laughs> if he's not, he should. If he's only getting five hours and 20 minutes of sleep. 
This just didn't add up for me. The math does not add up for me. If you are admitting that you're a coffee drinker and you're only getting roughly five hours of sleep a night wow. and your alarm clock is going off at 4.20 a.m. and you're saying, oh, but I don't drink coffee till 8, I'm not, I'm not buying it. He no may way. be just a physical freak like Herschel Walker, but if the alarm goes off at 4.20 and you're out the door at 4.30, you need five minutes to get dressed. Clearly his bed isn't made. No, absolutely not. He's not eating breakfast, not very healthy. You should eat breakfast when you get up and not taking a shower when he goes into the office. Well, I imagine he could eat and shower at the facility. Okay, that's fine. But I think you should eat right when you get up. I don't think you should have that growling stomach as you drive into the practice facility. It's probably a good point. So, But a Keurig, Randy, to pop that pot in, hit start, yeah, takes 30 seconds. 30 seconds, right. It'd be very easy for him to do that. I don't know why you wouldn't drink coffee until 8 a.m. It doesn't make any sense. Except if he's just trying to prove a point. Say, hey, I don't I I just wake up naturally. I don't need coffee. Okay. Or maybe he's lying. I, I, I just don't buy it. Okay, <laughs> if you're admitting that you're drinking coffee at 8 a.m., I think that you're waking up with a cup of joe at 420. Yeah, probably. Uh, uh, that was my second choice. I'm going to go with this. Take it or leave it. Cam Newton signs for the 2021 season before Dwayne Haskins does. Oh, I'll take it. I wonder who will take him as bad as he's been. Who, Cam? Yeah. That's a great question. Because at least with Haskins, he's only like 21 and has a chance to get better. Cam, he's peaked. He, he is what he is at this yeah. point. Yeah, with Haskins, too, it's a reclamation project. Yeah. There's always a head coach that thinks, I can extract the best out of this guy. He's not going to pull these shenanigans, these, you know, the strip club deal with me. Maybe he's learned his lesson. There's still some talent there. Well, it's a low-risk move. Whereas, yeah, with Cam... And I wonder how many coaches have the Bill Belichick intimidation factor. Mm-hmm. He couldn't be better yeah, under Belichick. Right. What makes me think that I can get something out Good of him? Good point. Yeah. Maybe uh, Haskins will go play for Urban Meyer. Maybe. As a backup. In Jacksonville behind yeah. Trevor Lawrence? Yep. Maybe. <laughs> Tanner, what do you got for us? All right. Take it or leave it. The Baltimore Ravens would like Cam Newton as their backup rather than Robert Griffin III. I'm going to leave that. Cam has that personality where he wants to be a starter. He's Superman. And RG3, even though he's been hurt for the last couple of weeks, has subjugated his ego to the point where he is happy, more than happy, being the backup for Lamar Jackson. Yeah, RG3's been great in that role for Baltimore. From the 618, take it or leave it, Trevor Bauer sees that staff in San Diego and says, I want to join. Ooh, good. I'm going to leave that because I don't think that the – the Padres, at least as far as I understand, are taking on the entire contracts for Snell and Darvish. I don't think they want to spend that one year $40 million on Bauer. I think he's more likely to go to the Dodgers. But I'll still take it because he's probably seeing what they're doing over there and it looks fun and exciting. Oh, he yeah, wants he, to be a part of that staff. He, he might like it, but they might not like him as much. Right. I think he'd probably have to take a lot less than he thought he was going to get or would get to go there. From the 618, take it or leave it. The Rams should pick up Dwayne Haskins for this Sunday's game. I'll totally take that. But they don't have time. He's got to do five days of protocols, right? Plus, they're trusting their evaluation of John Wolford. 
Yeah, right. And they brought back Blake Bortles. There you go. He's their backup they're of the s- week. They're set. Yeah. Oh, we're going to miss the playoffs. Uh, don't say we on this show, okay? Oh, that's, that's you. That's not a My we team's going to miss the playoffs. There you go. Should have became a Dolphins fan. Hey, there's still time. There's still yeah. time. Jump on the bandwagon. Did you not hear the T-Pain song? I did hear the T-Pain <laughs> yep. song. From the 314, take it or leave it. Tori Krug scores more goals than Petro does in Vegas. Ooh, good question. I think Petro is going to get so many minutes and so much power play time that, and, and it'll be split up here. I don't think Krug will get as much power play time or as many minutes. I think Petro will score more, but I would think that on a per minute basis, Krug will. So I'm, I'm going to I'm going to change your question a little bit. Krug gets more goals per minute than Petro. But you take it or leave it. You think it'll be close? Yeah, I'll take that. I do. From the three one four, take it or leave it. Vladdy should be left exposed in the upcoming expansion draft, and the Blues should sign Hoffman to a multi year deal. Oh, I'm going to leave the multi year deal off the bat because I just don't know what he is. Hoffman may or may not be very good defensively and play Craig Berube's game. We'll find out. Mm-hmm. But he, granted, he's played on bad teams. But his peripheral numbers in terms of being on the ice, plus minus, not good. And in terms of Vladdy, I have to wait and see. I, I can't say right now. I, I, I'll say this. Because you want us to take, have a take here. I'm going to leave that. I don't leave Vladimir Tarasenko exposed to Seattle. Even though you think he's never going to be the Vladdy of years past. Right. But how hard is it? We're really excited about a guy like Hoffman being a guy that scored 20 goals six years in a row. I don't think Vladdy's going to be a 35-40 goal scorer, 37-38. But I think he can be a 20-25 to goal scorer every year. And I'll pay for that. I'll pay $7.5 million for that for a couple of years. From the 314, take it or leave it. You would be okay with Yachty going to San Diego if it means you get a chance to watch him win another ring. Yeah, I'll take that. I'll take that too. I want him to have success wherever he goes. Yeah. I'll cheer for Yachty even if he's not wearing the Cardinal laundry um, because he's always going to be a member of our St. Louis community Mm -hmm. and he's going to wear a red jacket one day. I would, at this stage of the game, whatever Yachty or Molina chooses, I hope that it benefits him. I hope that he just continues to pile on and add to that Hall of Fame resume at this point. Cards and Padres first round of the playoffs again. Well, then I hope he loses. Okay. I hope he has a great series, Randy, but I hope the Padres lose. From the 314, take it or leave it. If we had fans in the stands when Petro returns to St. Louis, if he were to score, he would get a standing ovation like Pujols did when he came back to town. Oh, take it. Uh, I'm going to leave that. No, they aren't going to give him a standing He'll he'll get a standing ovation. They'll do a video for him. But if he scores, no, he doesn't get a standing ovation. Albert hit a home run and got a standing O. Albert was different. And I believe the Cardinals were way ahead when Albert hit that home run, right? I just think that St. Louis sports fans are so respectful, and this is the first person to ever hoist the cup in Stanley Cup history, that that first goal, they would give him a little bit of a cheer. And then I think after that, you're the enemy. But I think that St. Louis fans are so respectful of guys that have done things for them. I think if he would have gone to another franchise, that he might have gotten that, but... Vegas is kind of the enemy right now. So I'm going to leave it. I'm going to say that uh, we would treat him as he should be treated. Give him give him a nice uh, round of applause like Bacchus or, and make him cry when you give him the applause during the video. <laughs> but don't cheer him for scoring against your team, no. What if the Blues are winning 3-1 to one, or 3 to nothing, and then he 
tax on one. Kind of like they got ahead 3 nothing last year in the first period in Vegas and then lost the game 5-4. Yeah, I don't want it to happen. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Not with Vegas. Thanks, Tanner. Thank you. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Coming up next, what is going to happen with Yadier Molina? And has he been backed into a corner with the Padres' acquisition of a catcher? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. A fresh perspective on the day's biggest stories. It's Carriker and Smallman's Fresh Take. Brought to you by Schnooks. Get the app that gets you. Download the Schnooks Rewards app today. Just turned 8.02. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler, Carriker and Smallman, Michelle Smallman, Randy Carriker. And if you haven't heard, the Chicago Cubs, and we haven't touched enough on this, the, the Cubs traded you Darvish and Victor <laughs> Caratini. The, their starting rotation, they get uh, uh, Kyle Davies, they get one of the Davies, Zach Davies, Zach back Davies. in return. Their starting rotation right now is Kyle Hendricks, Zach Davies, Alec Mills, and then two guys that you've never heard of before. That's their their rotation. The Cardinals can just stand pat and improve their chances of winning this division. Which is, I think, part of their strategy. <laughs> I think it is. Because they probably read the tea leaves. They read the financial situation. They knew with Theo Epstein leaving what the writing on the wall was for the Cubs. Oh, biblical look, losses. That's right. <laughs> They're suffering biblical financial losses. And I think the Cardinals understand that from a business standpoint, they want to save money and they also r- truly, genuinely do still want to evaluate some of these young players. But I think they were very realistic in the fact that they could survey the landscape of the division, understand the way this was going to play out and say, we don't have to make moves and we could still win the division mm-hmm. while saving money and evaluating. And that's not what Cardinal fans want to hear, especially when you're looking at the team that bounced you in the Padres going out and really going for it. Right. We're talking about the division. Padres and Dodgers are thinking about the World Series. Exactly. Now, let's spin this forward because logically you would think okay, the last piece of the puzzle for the Padres would be a catcher. Now, last year, down the stretch at the trade deadline, they actually acquired a couple of catchers, Austin Nola and Luis Camposano. They traded two young catchers to the Rays, or at least are going to, in the Blake Snell deal, but they still have Nola and Camposano, and now they add Victor Caratini, who's not considered by them just to be Hugh Darvish's personal catcher. He He's going to catch more than just for Darvish. And the way I'm looking at this is that the Padres probably are not in the mix to pay Yadier Molina a lot of money for a year. Not with Nola and Capusanu and Caratini on their roster. That's a redundancy. It's one thing to get it at Darvish and add him to Snell and Lamette and try to replace Mike Clevenger. It's another thing altogether to get a fourth catcher. Right. And I don't think the Padres need to do that. A fourth catcher with a certain price point, too. Right. And if you're Yadier Molina and winning is supposedly the most important thing to you, I would imagine that having the Padres all of a sudden be off the table probably completely doesn't look great for your options. It seems like the Cardinals, whether he, and he has said that, he wants to come back to St. Louis. He's hoping that they can work things out. But it seems like if winning is the most important thing, that based on the options that we're familiar with, that the Cardinals seem to be the best fit. 
Mark Saxon of The Athletic reported that the Molina camp deemed the Cardinals' initial offer to be, quote-unquote, ridiculous. And when Benji Molina was on the our air with the fast lane a couple of weeks ago, he talked about how Yachty, in addition to wanting money, wanted to be in a position to win. Yachty is all about winning. Yachty is all about winning, and it he, and he can affect the decision on coming here or staying in the Cardinals or going away. Yachty is a winner. Just get that in your head. Here and wherever he's going to be, he, he, he is a winner. So that could play out, man. He's always talking about who he will get. He's always talking about who do we need. Um, If we get this guy, we can just get over the home. If we get this guy, we could be so good. If we get this guy, we can go to the World Series. If we get this guy, we can just fight for the playoffs and maybe get in. I mean, he's always constantly thinking that. So it could play. It could play out. But yeah, he's a winner, man. Now, nobody disputes that. No. But here's the thing. How do you quantify that? The Cardinals spend a lot of money on analytics people to determine what the value of a player is. I don't know that there's a way that they can quantify what a winner is worth. Who is a winner? Is Are, are we saying that Albert Pujols over the course of the last nine years is not a winner? because he hasn't? Are we saying that Mike Trout is not a winner because he hasn't won a playoff game? How do we quantify that? Well, The Cardinals quantify what happens on the field, and that's how they determine the value of a player. And, Michelle, I really don't see the Cardinals going way out of their comfort zone in terms of paying a player. John Moselock said, yes, this is different because you're dealing with an iconic player. But does the iconic player that's a winner make him worth $5 million more than what your algorithm says he's worth? Does it turn him from a $10 million to a $15 million a year player? I don't think the way the Cardinals are operating, it does. It doesn't. But the Cardinals also have made allowances for Yadier Molina in a lot of different spaces that other players did not get the same uh, leash, if you will. And I think the Cardinals are looking at a situation where they're hoping that Yachty makes the decision for them. Whether he decides to move on and then they say, we made him an offer, he's always going to be a part of the family, but he chose to move elsewhere. Or, like what's happening now, the cards are falling, no pun intended, and the Padres are off the table, the Yankees are off the table. All of these different options that might have existed for him all of a sudden aren't there, and then he can come back to the Cardinals and say, what is it going to take to get this done? I want to finish my career here. And then they're in the power position from a financial standpoint. But Yachty holds a lot of power within this organization. Mm -hmm. He determines when he plays, he determines a lot of things within the confines of the Cardinal organization that any other player would not be able to determine. So I don't wonder if maybe they go a little bit more out of their comfort zone financially to make sure it happens with Yachty if they know, in fact, that he's not going to go anywhere else. That's the thing. If they know that he's not going to go anywhere else, with so much pride, does he essentially crawl back to them and say, okay, I'll take your offer, even though I thought it was ridiculous before? Or do the Cardinals, even if the Cardinals sweeten it by a million dollars, does he still think it's ridiculous? Or... Does he take the same ridiculous money from the Nationals, for example, because he's offended that he's put so much into the Cardinals? And we don't know the answer to any of this, but just hearing Benji talk and hearing Yachty talk over the years about the level of pride that he has in his play. And hey, let's not dispute this at all. 
Benji, it might as well be Yachty talking, right? It's the same thing. There is no difference. So does Yadier Molina have it in him to come back to the Cardinals without as much power within the organization for essentially the Cardinals' price? But I would think that even if they gave him more money, he would feel like he won at some point. Because in addition to wanting to be a winner, I think that you hit on a very important aspect of this, and that's pride, and that's ego, and that's feeling respected and feeling wanted. And even though it was a completely different scenario with Albert Pujols, he was at a different point in his career. The Cardinals did get to that uncomfortable point. They made him an offer they weren't comfortable with. Think about the way he felt. Even though the Cardinals went above and beyond financially for him, even though he knew his place in Cardinal history and knew the way that he was appreciated by the fan base and by the organization, he still felt disrespected by that number and chose to go elsewhere for what, in the grand scheme of things, is a menial amount of money. Right. Because of the disrespect that he felt. And I don't know how Yadier Molina is going to to continue to feel about that initial offer and if he'll be able to put it aside. But I do know that sometimes these players who, who know that they have given everything they have to an organization and don't feel that reciprocation, it's not something that they get over easy. No. Another X factor here is Andrew Kisner. Because in 2011, after the season... We weren't hearing John Mozeliak say, yeah, I want to see more of Alan Craig. And Alan Craig wound up being a really good first baseman for the Cardinals. We are hearing Mo say, I want to see more of Andrew Kisner. Mm. I want to get an idea of what we have there. And that means if you want to see more of Kisner, that by definition, you're going to see less of Yadier Molina. And that's another thing that Yadi would, I would think, have to come to grips with is if the Cardinals want to see more of his successor, is he going to be amenable to that? But are the Cardinals going to put their foot down? That, to me, is the bigger question. And I think that ultimately is why the Cardinals are going to stick to their number. And like you said, make Yadi make the choice. They're going to say, OK, this is the value we have on you. We'll sweeten it a little bit. But we can't go beyond this number. Force him into a situation where he has to decide because I don't think they want him to be in charge of the organization anymore. But the toothpaste is already out of the tube. How after all of these years of letting him have this much power and to the Cardinals benefit a lot of times. Mm -hmm. Let's not act like, you know, Yachty being in control has been such a big negative for them. But if you're at this stage of the game with him and you do genuinely want to see more of Kisner and or Herrera or whatever it may be, and you need to take some of that control back, I don't know how you do it because he commands a lot of respect in that clubhouse and you've already let him get to this point to where he has so much say in what happens on a day-to-day basis. How all of a sudden at this stage in his career, career, do you go to Yadier Molina and say, hey, guess what? We're not letting you do this anymore. Uh, Tony has said, Tony <laughs> LaRusa, the hardest thing to do in baseball is manage a veteran player. And look at the stats here. Sam Musial retires after 63. Cardinals are not that good. They go win the World Series in 64. Ozzie doesn't get as much playing time. And Ozzie had a great year, but he only played part-time in 96. And the Cardinals win the division for the first time since the 80s. Uh, 
I don't think we can count Albert because he was still in his prime. But when you have veteran players, many times they aren't as effective, but you have to play them because mm-hmm. they're the, the veteran superstar. They're exactly. The, McGuire. McGuire can't play anymore in 2001. And then all of a sudden, once he doesn't play anymore, and it's Pujols playing, the Cardinals go from a team that missed the playoffs in 97, 98, 99, make it in uh 2000, but then really turn it on to a dynasty level in 2001 when McGuire retires. I think that's just part of the deal is that sometimes you have to play guys because they're superstars, but they aren't as effective as they used to be. Sometimes you're better off, we use the term ripping off the band-aid and moving on to the next guy. Maybe that helps you win a little bit more. When you, you hate to say that, but the, the only term I can think of right now is that they become an anchor for your team. Well, then I just I don't see a scenario in which the Cardinals are able to satisfy both and where they're able to have Yadi and Molina come back to the team and they're going to have the chance to see more of Andrew Kisner. I, I agree. D- I don't I, see a likely scenario there. I agree. And they might think that that's a possibility. But I think if we all look deep in our hearts and we look at the way that he has expressed himself on social media and through his brother, I don't see a way either that Yadi or Molina subjugates his ego and pride and says, yeah, I'm willing to play less and I'm willing to let Andrew Kisner play. This leaving out the idea of him helping Kisner along. This is just letting Kisner play. Well, and think about last season when Yachty was out. We still didn't see a ton of Andrew no, Kisner. No. So and it's it, not like even that that train has started to leave the track where they could say to him, when you were out last season, look at what he was able yep. to do. We want to see more of him. You don't even have that in your arsenal. When John Mozeliak wants to see more of the next guy, he gets rid of the old guy. Did it with Alan Craig so that he could see more of Oscar Tavares. He's done it in the past with other positions, and that's the way it works here. I I wonder if the ridiculous offer is going to be the Cardinals offer or very close to the Cardinals offer. And if they don't budge, it's going to be interesting to see what Yachty or Molina chooses. Yeah. Can Yachty be – can he accept – that leadership mantle, which would include him not being a player that plays as much. I, be interesting. I don't know. Yeah, this is going to be fascinating. Speaking of a great leader, we heard from one on Sunday, and we're going to play you what he had to say and compare it to what's going on in St. Louis next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> After the Houston Texans lost to the Cincinnati Bengals on Sunday, J.J. Watt did his scheduled Zoom call with reporters and basically had only one answer when he got to his desk. If you can't come in and put work in in the building, go out to the practice field and work hard, do your lifts and do what you're supposed to do, you should not be here. This is a job. We are getting paid a whole lot of money. There are a lot of people that watch us and invest their time and their money into buying our jerseys and buying a whole bunch of sh- and they care about it they care every single week we're in week 16 and we're 4 and 11 and there's fans that watch this game that show up to the stadium that put in time and energy and effort and care about this so if you can't go out there and you can't work out you can't show up on time you can't practice you can't want to go out there and win you shouldn't be here because this is a privilege it's the greatest job in the world you get to go out and play a game And if you can't care enough, even in week 17, even when you're 
trash when you're four and 11, if you can't care enough to go out there and give everything you've got and try your hardest, that's bullshit. So that's how I just, I think it's, that's, there are people every week that still tweet you, that still come up to you and say, Hey, we're still rooting for you. We're still behind you. They have no reason whatsoever to, we stink, but they care and they still want to win and they still want you to be great. That's why those people aren't getting paid. We're getting paid handsomely. That's why. And that's, that's who I feel the most bad for is our fans and the people who care so deeply in this city and the people who love it and who truly want it to be great. And it's not. And that sucks as a player to know that we're not giving them what they deserve. If you are a Texans player and you have an inkling of caring, you take those words to heart and they have an unbelievable week of practice. And if I'm the Tennessee Titans, I'm really going to take note of what he said and be prepared for a 4-11 team that comes in and is fighting fiercely because J.J. Watt, he is a leader of that franchise. And whether that's pandering to the fans or not, and I tend to have a tendency to believe that it's not, that that's really genuine. But as a fan, man, that's what I want to hear. Of course you want to hear it as a fan. And I don't think it was pandering to the fans either. because he started out, it seemed to me like a pretty veiled response directed at at someone at or some people yeah. specifically when he's talking about people not showing up and trying to win, people not getting lifts in, people who are getting paid a lot of money to be here. I think it generally kind of... Uh, turned into, hey, I feel bad for the fans, but this was a response that was aimed at some of his teammates. And whether or not, you can make the argument whether or not he should have done it through the media, but if you're him and you're in this situation, and as you said, the t- or as he said, excuse me, the team is trash, they stink, and people just aren't putting it in, putting in any effort, maybe this is the best vehicle for him to get his teammates' attention, some of them, because it is a terrible spot to be in. We saw it here with the Rams all the time about guys like Chris Long and James Laurinaitis who went out there mm-hmm. and gave it their all and had to face the music every single weekend when the media would come to their lockers and say, hey, why did you guys lose this week? And they had to answer. And it's a terrible position for you to be in as a player, to be the one who has to be the face of a losing organization. It stinks. But he's right. It's way worse for the fans who don't get paid millions of dollars to care about the state of the team. And are investing a large part of their income into the the success. I, I've always said that what you want to do as a sports team is get people to invest emotionally so that they will invest financially. And those people that are coming up to him and saying, hey, we're still rooting for you, those are people that are invested emotionally. And if they're wearing their J.J. Watt gear, they're invested financially too. And it's not typical for a fan to re- or a player to really care about that part of the sport where the fans are invested. So for somebody to recognize that to me is what we're talking about with leadership. When when a fan can come up to you and you can appreciate what a fan is going through. When you can see that fans care as much about the wins and losses as you do and Hey, probably more in some probably cases. Probably <laughs> more in most cases. It, uh, I was just going to say there there are a lot of players that don't care nearly as much as fans do. To recognize that is showing a great deal of awareness. But that's what I want from a leader. That's what that's what we see from Orion O'Reilly. That's why he was named the captain of the Blues because he gets things like that. He does. He takes the macro view, not the micro view. Mm-hmm. And you want a leader that gets it. 
And in some cases, guys after a loss are going out and they're partying and they're saying, hey, this was just a job and we're going to turn the page. Sometimes fans cannot move past a loss for a long time. It's something that sticks with you because you are emotionally invested. And if you're J.J. Watt and you're looking around at the state and the lack of culture or the lack of identity on your team right now because the Texans are a mess and he knows it and you want things to change, you need to shake it up and being a vocal leader like that is one way you're going to get that accomplished. But it does seem like they've got a lot to clean up there. And while Yachty does a good job, when he does talk to the media, he's not a guy that, and I don't know how he is out in public with fans, but in terms of communicating with the fans through the the conduit between the fans and the, the media, or the fans and the players, which is... It's become social media, mm-hmm. but throughout his career, he's not been a guy who has shown a propensity to want to speak to the fans through the media on a regular basis. He does now and then, but he I don't believe that Yadier Molina has ever been the spokesman for the Cardinals. Who would you say is right now? Wainwright. And yeah. with the departure of Adam Wainwright and Molina, if they're both not back... I don't know. That's my phone. Sorry about that. <laughs> Probably Brad Thompson. Uh, uh, I, I don't know. I, I think somebody's going to have to grow into that job. J.J. Watt, even though Deshaun Watson is the, the quarterback who's making all the money, J.J. Watt clearly is still the guy with the Texans, isn't he? Sure. And with Yadier Molina, he does it in his own way. As you mentioned, it might not be through the traditional media all the time or post-game media the way a lot of other players do. But think about when Chris Bryant dissed St. Louis and called it boring. Mm -hmm. Who's the first person that popped on social media to go off on him and defend his city? That was Yadier Molina. So he does understand the emotions that are attached to this from a fan's perspective. And he rides for St. Louis the same way that fans do. Yadi cares about the outcome of the game the same way. Way that fans do. And that's part of the reason that fans, in addition to the winning and in the championships and the fact that he's been one of the greatest to ever do it, but that's why so many fans identify with Yadier Molina because he cares as much as fans do. And I think it is more difficult for the Cardinals to be in a position where there's not a clear-cut successor. While we know Paul Goldschmidt is a leader in a lot of ways, he's in the clubhouse, he's mentoring players, he's not the guy that's going to pop on social media, I don't even think he has social media, and defend St. Lewis, the same way yeah. Yadier Molina or Adam Wainwright was. And that's it's an interesting dynamic because I do think that Yadi is the face of the franchise. I just don't think he's ever been the spokesman. He, he's not a guy that says a lot, but there's no doubt that since the departure of Pujols, that he's been the guy that if you are outside of St. Louis, especially if you're in this division, who's the first guy you think of? There's Yadier no doubt Molina. that it's Yadier Molina. Or Adam Wainwright. They, they go right. hand in They're hand. They're hand in hand. So if you don't have both of those guys, who is the face of the franchise? What's the identity of this Cardinals team moving forward? Who's the guy? Is it Jack Flaherty? Is it Paul Goldschmidt, who all of a sudden with with Wayno and Yachty not there takes more of a vocal role, maybe through the media? And he does talk to the media. Goldie's there all the time. I don't want to yeah. insinuate that he's not, but it's a it's a difference. Now, you know, it's going to have to become Dylan Carlson. Absolutely, he's going to have to be the guy. And it'll take him a while to yeah. get to no that pressure, point. Dylan. Yeah, no pressure at all. <laughs> but it'll take him a while to grow into that. And I'm assuming, I mean. Right now, he's in no position to to be the face of the franchise. I'm sure that he he understands that. But over time, yeah, he needs to understand that if he 
becomes the player that the Cardinals project him to be, it's part of the deal. If you'd like to weigh in on this, we're going to get back to it in the 9 o'clock segment. So you have about a half hour to get us a Rhino Shield mic drop. Do you think in 2021, are the Cardinals better off with Yadier Molina or without Yadier Molina? And we're getting differing views on the text line. We want to hear your voice, and we'll accept your texts again. But coming up next, we have the fight on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe Listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of morning drive. Please welcome Randy Character. Welcome back to Character and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. It is 835. That time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And it's time for the fight. Let's welcome in average Joe listener. Mike is with us today. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. Are you ready to take on Randy? Uh, yeah, I guess. I mean, <laughs> scared like anybody should be. Don't be scared. Don't be scared. He is, his brain is intimidating, but he really is a gentle giant. I promise. Don't be scared. <laughs> okay, Mike, question number one. The Blues beat the Chicago Blackhawks in the 2017 NHL Winter Classic 4-1. to one. Who started in goal for the Blues in that game? Was it Carter Hutton, Brian Elliott, or Jake Allen? Jake Allen. In 2018, the Cardinals acquired Paul Goldschmidt from the Arizona Diamondbacks. The Cardinals traded away infielder Andy Young, catcher Carson Kelly, and who was the third player that was sent to Arizona? Was it Luke Weaver, Marco Gonzalez, or Mike Leake? It was Luke Weaver. Okay, Mike, question number three. Which NFL team is the only team to go 16-0 in a season? Was it the Miami? Say that again. All right, Mike. And last one before we bring in Randy, Gary Pinkle, former coach of the Missouri Tigers, is their all-time wins leader. What other FBS program does he lead all-time in wins? Oh, Mike, look at you shooting from the hip. All right, we're checking score here and bringing in Randy. All right, Mike, confidence check, but I imagine it's pretty high considering you didn't need the options for the final two questions. Well, you know, sometimes you get lucky. And there you go. Randy, please say good morning to Mike. Hey, Mike, how you doing? I am great, Randy. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. We appreciate it. Okay, Randy. Question number one. Mm-hmm. The Blues beat the Chicago Blackhawks in the 2017 NHL Winter Classic 4-1. to one. They did. Who started in goal for the Blues in that game? That was number 34, Jake Allen. And those beautiful sweaters. Randy, in 2018, the Cardinals acquired Paul Goldschmidt from the Arizona Diamondbacks. The Cards traded away infielder Andy Young, catcher Carson Kelly, and who was the third player traded to Arizona? That was Luke Weaver. Question number three, Randy. Which NFL team is the only team to go 16-0 in a season? I have a little patch in the office that says 19-0. It was the 2007 New England Patriots. I knew you'd know that one. And Randy, Gary Pinkle is the all-time wins leader at Missouri. And what other FBS program? Toledo. Okay, we're closing out the year strong. What a fight today. Mike and Randy both got all four correct. All right. All four correct, which means that we go to a tiebreaker. And Mike, here's how this is going to work. I am going to read the tiebreaker question 
As I'm reading it, Randy is going to write his answer down on the post-it placed in front of him. You are going to get first crack at this uh, on the air. You're going to get to reveal your answer. You only have 10 seconds to give us your answer after I read the question. And then Randy will reveal what he wrote on the post-it. First one correct or closest to the pin wins. Okay, Mike? I'm ready. All right. Here is the tiebreaker question. Including this year's NFL game on Christmas, how many NFL regular season games have been played on Christmas Day? Oh, this is good. Um, Write it down, Randy. I know. I got to think about it first. Um, Mike, any answer from you? Today. Do you need the question again? um, Nine. Nine from Mike. Okay. And I'll say seven. Oh, all right. We have a winner and new champion, Average Joe Listener. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs. Congratulations, Mike. You beat Randy. What a way to close out the year because you're going to come back tomorrow to challenge Randy again for your chance at the Hall of Fame. But let's give the answers. So the Blues did beat the Blackhawks 4-1 to in the 2017 NHL Winter Classic. It was Jake Allen that started in goal for the Blues. He stopped 22 of 23 shots. When Paul Goldschmidt was acquired from the Arizona Diamondbacks in 2018, the Cardinals traded away infielder Andy Young, catcher Carson Kelly, and pitcher Luke Weaver. The only NFL team to go 16-0 in a season was the New England Patriots in 2007. They lost in that Super Bowl to the Giants, as I'm sure most of you remember. And Gary Pinkle is the all-time wins leader at Missouri and Toledo. 73 wins at Toledo, by the way, for those inquiring. And our interesting tiebreaker question was this. Including this year's NFL game on Christmas, how many NFL regular season games have been played on Christmas Day. Mike said nine. Randy said seven. Price is right. Rules apply here. The answer is 20. Mm. So Mike is closer to the pin. He wins. Congratulations, Mike, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Sounds great. Thanks, guys. All right. Thank you, Mike. Uh, This from The Athletic. The Chicago Blackhawks are not going to have Jonathan Taves for the start of the season. He is out because of illness. One report out of Canada suggests that Taves will be out four to six months. We don't know if that's the case, but both Pierre Lebrun and Darren Drager reporting that Jonathan Taves will miss the start of Blackhawks training camp due to illness yesterday. They announced that their great young forward Kirby Doc was going to miss the first three to four months of the season with a broken wrist. So the Blackhawks not getting off to the best start here in the world. No, not at all. And you wonder what kind of illness it is for him to miss such a significant amount of time. Yeah, I don't know. That's uh, missing the start of camp next week. Obviously, he's been sick. And uh, an, an official announcement is expected from the Blackhawks shortly. Wow. So we have that going for us. And the Blues aren't in the same division as them, so it doesn't do any good. No, not at all. So I, I feel bad for Jonathan Taves. But yes, so do I. Kind of think he's used up. I, I think if we were playing six month seasons now, that he would ever. And he was really good last year in the first round of the playoffs. But I don't think that he's a guy that you can count on for six months. If there ever there was a hockey player where you needed to have load management, Jonathan Taves is the guy. Yeah, he's the one. Yep. Coming up next on 101 ESPN, we're going to talk to our friend, former Mizzou head coach Gary Pinkle on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. (laughs) 
With Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker. Great to have you with us on 101 ESPN. And we head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line and our friend, the former head coach at the University of Missouri, Gary Pinkle, kind enough to take a few minutes with us on this Tuesday morning. Gary, great to have you with us. Happy New Year. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Happy New Year, everybody out there, too. So. Hey, I, I want to uh, get your first impressions of uh, this season, the 5-5 five and five SEC-only season, a, a weird season it was, under Eli Drinkwitz. How do you think the program did? I think he did a really spectacular job. I mean, it's, it's so difficult uh, what they had to experience. And granted, everybody had to deal with it. Uh, I never – I can't imagine uh, how difficult it was, you know, just daily the changes that these kids had to go through and the coaches had to go through and 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 and, uh, and, and the SEC and so on and so forth. And uh, But I think overall, you know, they just kept a positive attitude. They, they were going to be resilient. And I thought he did a great job for, for many, many reasons. Uh, you know, it also – you know, he had two spring practices, I think. Well, when you become a head football coach uh, at a new place, and this is your your spring, and we start from the beginning there in spring for him, and all of a sudden you got two practices. You you know, when the spring's, spring football is over, especially your first year, everybody at the end of spring ball is at the position they're going to be all, all uh, spring, summer, and end of the season next year. And everything's in order, so you, so you can do it. Well, he, didn't, he had two days. He, didn't hit. he couldn't do any of that stuff. Because they were just guessing, and so for many, many reasons, he—I uh, thought he did a really good job. Coach, did you have any communication with Coach Drinkwitz before the season? And if so, did you have any advice, maybe that you shared with him that you can <laughs> share with us? Uh, oh shoot, uh, I don't know. If my advice would be that good, so I, I really know what to say. But anyway, no, I honestly, we 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 uh, go out and have a cup of coffee here and there. Uh, I text him. He texts me back. You know, and, and I. So I, I got a chance. To, I I was kind of pretty open with him. He's been, he, he's a really good guy. I'm not a big jump up and try to get advice. You know, sometimes you know, you know, the, the, uh, I don't pass that. Everybody has different philosophies and how they do things. He asked me some things about kind of what I thought about certain you know, situations and things like that. Just just so I think he's just gathering information so he can make his decisions to do what he wanted to do. Um, but he did reach out, and I and I you know I, I have a good relationship with him. Um, and I think he's just, uh, I, I think he's, he's a very, very bright guy. He's talented. I think he really, really, uh, communicates with kids. Well, uh, he just, he's real down to earth with them, you know, and, and, and he's, and he levels with them. And, and he's, uh, I, I just think they, they, I think kids will embrace him and, and that's hugely important, you know, to establish, uh, a football program of consistency and, and, and winning. It seems, though, Gary, that you two have a lot of the same philosophies in, in that opening press conference and then in talking to Eli, the same things that you talked about, not turning the ball over, taking the ball away, playing great special teams, especially in a conference like this where it's hard to recruit against the likes of Alabama and LSU and Georgia and Florida. If you do the little things right and don't do things to lose the game yourself, you have a really good chance yeah. to win it. Yeah, that's the old Bear, Bear Bryant thing. I was reading that years and years ago. Bear Bryant used to wake up in the middle of the night, and he would in, at three o'clock in the morning. He'd be have a little notepad next to his 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 bed, and he'd he'd write he he wrote down things that that he didn't want Alabama beating Alabama. Mm-hmm. So what he did is he wrote all those things down. He said, "There's a few there's a few ways you win games, and there's a thousand ways you lose games." 
and he just wanted to, you know, get those thousand ways you move games and get that across his program. And I think that's, you know, certainly what what you all try to do. You try to get that on your side. That's, you know, it's it's, it's focused coaching and, and so on. You know, I think what's going to be real critical is, you know, obviously recruiting is critical, but I also think player development uh, is, is is mammothly important. You know, we we didn't have to beat Alabama on all our players. We we. We recruited. We didn't really actually. We didn't care who was recruiting the players. We we did our own system in place, and then had a plan for them to get stronger, faster, quicker, mentally tougher, become better students, become better leaders, and so on and so forth. We didn't say it. We in our program we did those things, and uh, I'm sure he's going to do a lot of those same things too. You know that that's that's his his opportunity to kind of to develop um, a program. Um, that is has you know we we're building and we're and we're getting our players uh, to all think alike in the same type culture. One thing that the great the late great John Cadillac told me about your program, he thought that you recruited to your scheme better than anybody he'd ever seen, and that's that's what you're talking about, isn't it? You can get a a, a guy that, and I don't know what you think of the the ranking services, but you can get a three star guy. You you turned a lot of two and three star players into first and second round draft choices because you recruited to your scheme. Yeah, a little bit our scheme, but also we looked at potential. You know, we had explosiveness on a player, even if a player was, let's say, uh, Justin Britt, for example, you know, who started for the the uh, Seattle Seahawks and was first-round draft pick and everything. Well, nobody hardly even recruited him. You know, he's, he's 260 pounds. He's 6'4", 6'4 net, but he could vertical jump. He's a very explosive athlete. Well, we plugged some of the numbers in what this guy has. We'll get 45 pounds on the guy. We'll do, we, we can do that you know, without question. But you can't make a guy into a good athlete. Well, he was a really good athlete, and so that's a that's a real example kind of of, of kind of what we did. We're not we're not. I never wanted to know what stars are. I didn't really care about stars uh, for us in in our world. We you know he's a five star guy, four star guy for us. We had our system in place, and and we plugged you know a, a high school athlete into that our system, and then we it would come out through an evaluation. And and then and that's pretty much how we made our choices. You know, it's interesting in recruiting. By the way, I think he's doing a heck of a job in state recruiting too. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting in recruiting. It, it's uh, you know, you know, it's it's what happens is not having well, we don't have enough great players, so we're not going to win. Well, that's not necessarily true. Okay, what's going to hurt you in recruiting is mistakes. So you sign twenty players in a class, and three years later, half those players aren't even good enough to play. In, in the SEC and win a championship because they were mistakes and mistakes are going to get you before not having a, great, a few great players that you have to have. Gary, you mentioned building a program, building a culture, and everyone's really excited about the trajectory of the Mizzou program, but there's very clear tiers in the SEC. And as somebody that had Mizzou at that top level, what do you think a program like Missouri has to do consistently to get to that level of an Alabama or a Georgia? Well, I think one thing that you have to do is we have to we have to be very successful in state recruiting. I think it's really important. I mean, we're going to we're going to go down. We have, we signed a lot of great players out of Atlanta and Dallas and Houston. We signed we went over and we evaluated. We we got a lot of players, but this is our state, and there's there's a lot of this good high school football in this state, and uh, and so what we're I think that's going to be critically important. I thought we had a really really good year this year. And he'll and with our facilities that we just built at that, that South End Zone project, which is my like my little baby. I'm so <laughs> glad we needed that so bad. I mean, that's as good as any place in the nation. You're going to have walk any recruit that's been anywhere, and they're going to walk in and say, "Wow, 
this is one of the most incredible places I've ever seen. And now, now we need to build a new indoor facility. And that's kind of, I'm on top of that. And, you know, just, just PR wise, just because we've got to have the best facilities, as good a facility as anybody in the nation, if you want to compete against them, but we're in line to do that in, in the, in the direction to do that. So I think those, uh, you know, I think that's, that's really probably as important as anything. And, and the other thing, too is I, I just think you know you you got to embrace being in this league and you got to and you got to go go for it and you just gotta you you have to go go through it with a great attitude you know you can't wait to play the Alabamas or the LSUs you can't I mean you you got to take that kind of an attitude uh, and and get after it and you know that's how you're going to have a chance to to compete and win and develop your program. You retired five years ago, and you're still all about having cranes in the air, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm. I just, I'm, I'm kind of. I, I got a lot of issues. So, <laughs> um, speaking of your retirement, Gary, we have been looking back on the decade in sports, and we played a, a sound clip yesterday on our show of your retirement speech. And in it, you talked about the hardest part of walking away from the job, and you said that it's leaving your players, and that they would always be part of the family, that they would always have your phone number, and that you'd always be in touch with them and i'm just curious how often do you talk to former players is this something that happens on a, on a daily basis uh not daily weekly uh you know it just depends different times of the year different different things you know some some weeks I'll, I'll hear from five or six players and the next week i might hear one or two or you know i try to call them too sometimes and the relationship with my players is like the greatest thing you ever had you know and and, and one of the great things about our job because you had a, you had an opportunity to, to help a young man you know, to mature and become a better person, you know, better student, you know, uh, you know, to, to get to earn his degree. And, and uh, I, I can go on and on. And, and actually that was the toughest thing for me. My first couple of years out, I, I wasn't, I, you know, I was, I was doing some radio stuff and, and so on and so forth, which I really enjoyed, but I, I just kind of felt empty. One time my wife said to me, she goes, what's Missy says, are you okay? I said, Gosh, I miss my players. And by the way, they drove me nuts as much as they did <laughs> the other side. There was, there was both sides of that, you know. You're developing men and the young men. And, and, but we did that. You know, we, we, they, we, we, we developed them in all areas of their personal lives also. It was a responsibility that we had to do. And so that's when we started a foundation. So I started a foundation called the GP MADE Foundation. MADE's an acronym make a difference every day in the lives of kids. And we've, we've raised hundreds of thousands of dollars and, and it's all for kids. And, and so, um, that's been really, really, you know, really great, you know, for me because it's significant. I'm doing something to help and, uh, assist kids. And so anyway, that's been, that's been great with the GP made foundation. And it's, um, it's Gary Pinkle, uh, at, at Gary Pinkle or at, at GP made. And you can go over and get our website and kind of check it out if you people are interested. In it. And I know Gary, this is a big month. You want to raise a hundred thousand dollars by the end of the month and any $1,000 donation in December will uh, be provided an autograph football by you an autograph visor, the I- iconic Gary Pinkle visor and uh, the, a copy of the book, the 100 yard journey, which is a great book that you did with Dave matter. So if people do want to get involved, once again, go to Gary and make that donation today. Hey, I, a couple of things. Number one, were you watching on Saturday, or did somebody get in touch with you when it was Daniel against Gabbard in the second half of that Tampa-Detroit game? Yeah, I got a few phone calls. So <laughs> that was pretty cool. That was, that was neat seeing those guys do that. It's a, it's a hard job, I'm telling you. 
it's a, it's a it's a hard job playing quarterback. It's very very difficult. And we had a great quarterback run. You know that. You know from those guys to you know to Brad Smith to you know I could I I go on and on. And so we we that's why we won a lot of games. I mean you, we had a lot of other great players around them, but if you don't have a guy at that spot, you're not you're not going to be successful. And that's we've been very really uh, fortunate. And Gary, I'm, I'm always thinking about you. I want to know how you're feeling. How you doing? I'm doing fine. Uh, my my cancer it's the type of I have I will always have. And I'm managing it, so I'm I'm doing I'm doing I'm doing good out there. And prayers and uh, encouragement to all the folks out there that uh, that have probably a lot worse cancers than I have. So uh, God bless everybody out there, and just keep a, have keep a great attitude. That's the that's the that's the one great shot you have. Great to hear your voice, sir. Thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. Always good to talk to you. And again, have a great 2021. Yeah, happy New Year. Thank you, Thank sir. You. Take care. That's Gary Pinkle with us on 101 ESPN. And again, you can make that donation to the GP Made Foundation. Go to gpmade.org. That's gpmade.org. And again, if you make a $1,000 donation, you'll get an autographed football, an autographed visor, and an autographed copy of Gary's book, The 100-Yard Journey. Any $500 donation will be rewarded with the visor and the book, and any $100 donation gets a 100 or a, an autographed visor from Gary Pinkle, which, which is very cool. Which is great, and I love that he's trying to raise $100,000 this month. So we only have a couple days left. Let's help Coach reach his goal. He's a, uh, a great guy to have in the program in terms of, like he said, just trying to raise money for an indoor practice facility, which they're the only team in the conference that doesn't have an indoor practice facility. When you have Gary Pinkle on your side trying to raise money, that's a big advantage. I love how he was still talking about how it was like his baby, that he's (laughs) talking about the South End Zone project and getting that indoor facility done. It is great to have somebody like him still be such a proud and front-facing part of your organization. He always said this, and I, I took it to heart because whenever I go to a school or a hospital, I, I take note. He said, if you're a school or a hospital and you don't have cranes in the air, you're falling behind. And he's right. Wow, he because is right. you have to always be moving forward and improving your facilities. Especially if you're in the SEC. No doubt about it. <laughs> That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, more about Yadier Molina. And especially with the Cubs moving Victor Caratini to the Padres, what are the options for Yadier Molina? And should the Cardinals be looking at Moving forward with uh, without him, we want your mic drops with the Rhino Shield mic drop feature with the 101 ESPN app. We also would love to see what you have to write us on the text line, the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. You about Yachty next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Opinions do matter. Time for today's big thing with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by SSM Health Express Clinic at Walgreens. Visit SSMHealth.com for more information. Nine oh three. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker. A couple of quick notes before we get to today's big thing. Number one, the Blackhawks have yet to announce, but Pierre LeBrun reporting that Jonathan Taves will miss at least the first part of the season for the Blackhawks with an illness, and still no announcements from the Padres, but reportedly they are going to get both Blake Snell from Tampa Bay and Hugh Darvish from the Cubs in exchange for Darvish and Caratini. The 
Cubs will receive pitcher Zach Davies, who's kind of like a poor man's version of Kyle Hendricks, and four prospects, none of whom are in the San Diego top 10 rankings in their system. So the Cubs just dumping salary with you, Darvish. And the Padres going for it. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the topics of discussion this morning is with the acquisition of Victor Caratini by San Diego. Does that settle their catching situation? Yadier Molina had said that San Diego was one of the teams interested in him. They did trade two young catchers to Tampa in the deal for Snell, or at least Will. They still have Austin Nola and Luis Campusano, their semi-regulars from last year. Both of them played semi-regularly down the stretch after being acquired at the trade deadline. Now they add Victor Caratini. Those catchers seem to be more than enough to cover 162 games. And if Darvish is going to, if they play 162 and Darvish makes 32 starts, there's 32 for Caratini right there. Right. And which leads us to come to the conclusion that this is an option that might have been on the table for Yachty or Molina that doesn't exist anymore. And perhaps Yachty would get an opportunity from the team from among Philadelphia, Washington, mystery team that doesn't sign JT Real Muto. But I can't imagine that somebody's going to sign Yachty before Real Muto would sign with another team. So just to lay it out, it seems like with the Yankees keeping Gary Sanchez, with the Mets signing James McCann, those were two teams that Yachty said we're interested in him with the Padres getting another catcher to add to the two veterans that they already had the angels. He talks about his, his brother talks about his need to win. Angels don't seem like a great chance to win. It could be that unless the nationals don't get real Muto and make an offer to, to Yachty, that he could be painted into a corner with a Cardinal offer. And have to accept an offer perhaps that, he didn't want to take yeah. from them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if the Cardinals played this right, and it all depends on their desire to have him come back. Mm-hmm. We we don't know what those conversations are like internally. Maybe they said, hey, we're going to lowball him in hopes that he signs elsewhere because then he makes the decision for us and we can start this next chapter in the organization and see what we have in a guy like Andrew Kisner. Or maybe they truly said, this is what we can offer you from a financial standpoint because we lost all of our ticket revenue and we understand that you're an icon, but this is what we can give you right now and we hope that you come back. We don't know what those conversations are like. But either way, if the Cardinals did hope that they could bring Yachty back at a certain dollar figure, hoping that this was the way that things would play out, it seems like they're in a power position when it comes to the finances. So from your perspective, do you think the Cardinals are better off? And this is your perspective as a fan, as what you prefer, what you desire, or you can look at it from the Cardinals. Are, are they going to build to the for the future and be better off building for the future with or without Yadi or Molina. Do you think the Cardinals in 2021 are better with or without Yadi or Molina? And we want to hear from you on the mic drop feature. The Rhino Shield mic drop is at the 101 ESPN app. You can also send us a text via the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Let's hear first from Janet on 101 ESPN. As much as Yadi and Wayno have meant to us, It's just a sin that we do not get to give them a proper send-off when they retire. This is terrible that the Cardinals couldn't find it some way to stretch their budget and resign those two wonderful men. So Janet believes that the Cardinals should go that extra mile to make sure that those two 
end their careers in St. Louis. But with all due respect to Janet, she didn't say that those guys made the team better. It was all about right. about the respect factor. And, and I respect that because some people would rather have those guys be a member of the team than win. Well, do they really think the Cardinals are going to win the World Series this year anyway? Is no. bringing back Yachty and Wayno going to tip the scales in the Cardinals being a World Series contender or not? I don't believe so. So I do understand the viewpoint from somebody like Janet. If they're heading into the season yep. saying, hey, I'm not wa- preparing myself to watch a World Series contender, I might as well get that the nostalgia factor mm-hmm. of getting a chance to pay my respects to and say goodbye to and give these guys the send-off that they've earned. And the flip side is giving young players an opportunity so that you have a better chance to evaluate them and try to win in 2022. That's the other angle to this. Let's hear from Rob with a mic drop. I think that Yadier Molina definitely has a place with the team. I think his value, as this has been said a million times, but his value is huge in terms of game prep, showing by example how to do game prep and what he does for all those young pitchers, as well as some of the old pitchers who come in who he's made better. And I think that he is the only player I've seen a lot of fire out of, out of the starting eight. He does bring an emotional edge that the Cardinals, who are kind of a, a briefcase group, that they're very professional, but they don't show an awful lot of emotional edge. So he's more of a lunch pail guy than a briefcase guy? I would say so, yeah. <laughs> you, he does bring that fire, that's for sure. Yeah. But I wonder, we see that out of Jack Flaherty at times, and right. I don't wonder if other players have that inside them. They just haven't really had the opportunity to showcase it yet, or they don't feel like it's their place to to speak out or be that vocal, fiery leader yeah. because you have guys like Wayno and Yachty there. That could be. Uh, from the 314, They're better with Yachty, and their fans will be happier. And that's the question that I have to ask is, are they better with a soon-to-be 39-year-old Yadier Molina, who's obviously, if you look at the numbers, he's in decline. Every metric that you can find, he's in decline, and he should be. He's 39. Or are they better with what they hope is an ascending player in Kisner and or, not this year, Herrera? Because to my way of thinking, the way the Cardinals do business, this is not the Padres. They are not going to be in a position to win a World Series while Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright are still active players. And unfortunately, we won't know the answer to that question until they see what they have in Kisner. Right. right. And or Herrera. Yeah. From the 314, Yachty is clutch, but when there's no one on base, it's hard to be clutch. Nobody can replace his presence behind the plate. I'd go to a winning team if it was me. And I I do believe, Yachty, that at the end of the day, his main goal is to have a chance to win. I I would be really surprised if he would take more money to go to a team that doesn't have a chance to win. It just, I think, depends on the way he's feeling about the communication or lack thereof Mm -hmm. with the Cardinals right now. Because we we don't know how he's feeling about the offer. We know from Mark Saxon that he deemed it, what was it, laughable? Um, Ridiculous. Ridiculous. There you go. That's the word I was looking for. And is that something that he can move past? Because, yeah, maybe the options that are out there aren't in a better position to win, but it all kind of depends on the way he's feeling about the organization and the way that he's feeling about the communications and the offer. And along those lines, Michelle, from the 314, Yachty will not be happy with an offer from the Cardinals. He will not be good for the team on the field and in the clubhouse. 
So they're saying that even if he returns, he's going to have a chip on his shoulder about the offer and carry it through to the field. Yeah, or he'll just not take the Cardinal offer. I think that's what the what he's getting at here is that there probably will not be a way for the Cardinals to keep him around. And if they do, then he'll won't he won't be happy and we'll see a lot of Instagram posts. A lot of Instagram posts. Yeah. Let's get one more mic drop in. This is Tony on 101 ESPN. The Cardinals and Yadier Molina make a perfect pair. They go together like lamb and tuna fish. <laughs> lamb and tuna. I'm not a lamb guy, but I can't imagine that lamb and tuna are the surf and turf that most people desire. <laughs> no, I've never seen that option offered at a restaurant. Have you? No, I never have. A combo <laughs> lamb and tuna. <laughs> Another from the 636. The Cardinals are better with Yachty if he can mentor the future everyday catcher. And I don't I just don't know if that's in Yachty's DNA. Some people have that. Some people don't have that. He hasn't shown that propensity to be the guy that goes to the other catcher. And we don't see what goes on behind the scenes. And people like Carson Kelly have said, hey, I observed him and I learned a lot by watching him. But I don't know if Yachty's the guy that's going to the next guy and saying, okay, this is how you do it. I also don't know how you can be a true mentor to somebody while also wanting to play every day. Hey, <laughs> Joe Montana didn't do it for Steve Young. Brett Favre didn't do it for Aaron Rodgers. It doesn't happen. There's not an awful lot of Adam Wainwrights out there that is training people to take the job that you have. Yeah, and I can't see Yachty saying, yeah, okay. I'm going to take a couple days off so we can get Kisner no, sometime. That's, that's why I say it's just not in his DNA. <laughs> no, I don't he's, see it. he's ultra competitive. And this is a good thing about an athlete. He always thinks that he's the best. And you want him to think that right. I want my, I want every person that plays on the team that I care about to want to play every day and want to think that they're the best. It's up to the adults in the room. The, the manager, the front office, the owner to make that decision for him. That's where I think this has gotten a little dirty because Yachty has dictated when he's going to play a lot of the time. And I think if you're the Cardinals and he does come back, now is the time. I don't know if it's possible because, as I mentioned, the toothpaste is already out of the tube as far as control there. But if ever there was a time for you to regain that control back, now is now it's it. The player is, and I'm going to be try to be fair here, the player's in a no-win situation because here I am saying I wish he would be willing to give up some of his playing time and tr- train the next guy and help him play. But if four years ago... When the Cardinals were headed down the stretch and he was playing every day and he said, I need load management. I need a, a, a day or two days a week off. I was, why don't you want to play? So the player is kind of in a no-win situation. Either it, we say, well, why, why do you want to play every day? But then if we need them and they don't want to play every day, we say, why aren't you playing? Yeah. I think that's, uh, it's just not fair the way we do it. And I know it's not fair, but I want it the way I want it right now. Well, that's why I'm going to shift responsibility there to the people that get paid to make those decisions because Yachty has been a great member of this organization. His durability has been part of the reason why the Cardinals have been so successful. So how am I going to ever want to temper that fire from him? I'm not going to. That's part of what makes him so great. I, as a fan, do not want him to want to play any less. So that's why I'm going to shift responsibility to the manager in the front office to say, hey, 
if this is truly what we want to give this other player some time to grow and a chance for us to evaluate him, you're going to have to listen to us. And this is what's going to happen. You can post on Instagram all you want. You can get angry. We don't really care. But this is the way it's going to be. That's what they're going to have to do. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And that is today's big thing coming up. Are the Patriots dead or are they Michael Myers? Mike Sando of The Athletic joins us to talk about that next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. With Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker. Let's head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line and to Mike Sando from The Athletic, kind enough to take a few minutes with us this morning. Michael, great to have you on 101 ESPN in St. Louis. How's it going this morning? Doing well. How's it going, Randy? Everything's great. Hey, I want to start with this, and I, I promoed this. Are the New England Patriots as we knew them dead, or are they Michael Myers, and are they going to rise up and terrorize us next year? Yeah, I think they're dead. I mean, they'll be better next year, though. I think they'll certainly benefit from getting people back off their COVID list. They had the most opt-outs, right? I think they'll have a probably a better plan at quarterback, you know, hopefully for all of us. There's an offseason, you know, of of coaching where I think they, you know, Belichick still do a good job, but yes, I think they're dead as the monster that you have to just fear. And somehow in the end, they're going to, you know, win 12 games or 10 every year that I think that's over. And that, that had a lot to do with Tom Brady and that's going to be hard to recapture. They're not going to find another guy like that. Mike, what about Dwayne Haskins NFL career? Is that dead? Or do you think we're going to see another team take a chance on him? Well, forever's a long time, right? I mean, he's really young. Uh, it's hard, though, to have to coach at that position into a player the basics of understanding how to be a professional, right? I mean, I think for the most part, guys at that position um, sort of know to be the first at the meetings and do everything a certain way. They're held to a different standard. They enjoy special benefits of the position, and I think most of them have those boxes checked. So when you don't, you know, not everybody's going to wait for that to come along, right? And he has the talent, I think, to be pretty good. And now this is going to be a question of how quickly can he mature and maybe being humbled, right? Maybe being on another team where you're not the number one pick, where uh, everybody's not telling you how great you are, where you're not making as much money, gives you a chance to really earn it for the first time. I wonder, and one of the things that was mentioned yesterday, Mike, was maybe getting away from home would be good for him, the place where he grew up and all these people are telling him he's the greatest thing ever. But I wonder if a situation like Seattle, uh, where maybe you land on that practice squad and you just observe Russell Wilson for a year, would benefit a guy like that. Oh, absolutely. I think it would. I think it would. I think Washington was in a situation where, look, they're making a huge break from a culture that's been toxic in ways more serious than even football right and him hanging out at a strip club without his mask as the quarterback i mean they couldn't they're just like they're done you're right somewhere else like that where you have uh you know a really good coach you have a really good professional starting quarterback um could be just and, and a long way from home i'm with you did you you should check this out i was reading this last night kaylin kaylor is a pretty good nfl reporter and she did a piece from draft day uh uh, about just the elaborate hosting of the draft by his family, which has its own branding company, okay? 
and reading it now, you're like, wow, well, no wonder, you know, this, <laughs> no wonder he didn't have quite the right perspective on everything. It was amazing how almost his whole career was choreographed uh, in a way that really didn't contain a lot of substance. That's really interesting, Mike. We'll definitely check that out. Uh, speaking of reading things online, last night I was reading your article at The Athletic about Urban Meyer and the interest that he's garnering from NFL teams. What do you think? Do you think that Urban will jump to the NFL? And if so, do you think that his skill set will translate to the NFL? Yeah, I don't think that he's going to be for everybody. So to me, that type of a hire, I just discussed this on the podcast I do every week with Randy Mueller, the football GM. He brought up the point, Randy did, that uh, this is this will be an owner-driven hire if it's him. There's not going to be any front office apparatus from a personnel background or any anything like that that's going to think that Urban Meyer is a good idea, right? Because uh, in some ways those guys want to protect themselves, and in some ways they understand that Urban Meyer, with no NFL experience, it's a lot to ask for the for the guy to come in um, and be in charge of everything when you have to collaborate uh, at the NFL level. To, to really succeed. So it may be a place like Jacksonville. You know, I think that really could make sense. It's very right up the road from Gainesville where he had a nice run at Florida. Uh, pair him with Trevor Lawrence. I think you, it would be exciting. You know, I think people would be, uh, it would really put Jacksonville a little bit on the map. So I could see that type of a thing, but I don't think it's going to be a deal where he's a candidate for five places for the next three years, right? It's going to be one or two that really maybe make the go and tempt him and, I think Jacksonville could make sense. I, I, I just do. I, I feel like from an ownership standpoint, you could see it. And from his standpoint, man, Trevor Lawrence in an area that you know well, that's pretty good. Mike, one thing that really stuck out to me in reading your piece were some of the comments that were made by the people you were interviewing about the state of the culture at the programs that Urban had. And for a guy who did have a lot of questions surrounding the cultures he built yep. in college, do you think that he would be able to establish a, a culture in the NFL? I think that he would. Um, you know, I think you do probably... You know, you get a little bit of a break going from college to pro. I mean, it's a little bit of a different, uh, you know, there's different levels of, of concern. But I think some of those issues that came up are actually, would be actually be more into the microscope now than they were even then. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. The, the, and we see people be brought down pretty quickly um, and a different level of scrutiny. So I guess the question to ask there is, were those things that we're talking about, right? I mean, you can go back to the, the assistant coach he had who had some domestic abuse stuff going on that Urban Meyer supposedly knew about and didn't do what he should have done uh, about. Is that necessarily a direct product of his culture. Is that going to follow him for sure to the NFL? If it did, would there be protocols in place that would just deal with it? Let's just say something like that happened in the NFL. Well, that guy would just be fired, right? I mean, I don't know to what degree uh, if the law were involved that Urban Meyer would be covering it up the way maybe it would be easier to do in a college campus is a little bit different level of scrutiny. So I think those are fair questions. And if you're an owner, maybe you need to have some assurances or mechanisms built in, or you know what I mean, really be vetting exactly who we're hiring on a, on a high level. 
Mike Sando, before we let you go, I want you to give us one team that isn't the Chiefs or the Packers to win the Super Bowl. Yeah, isn't the Chiefs or the Packers? Well, Buffalo stands out to me um, as a team on the rise. I think Sean McDermott said it well after the game last night. Hey, the underdog rule is nice. At a certain point, you just got to be a good team and act like it. And I think um, they have some things going for them. It'll be tough to get past Kansas City. I don't, I don't necessarily think that I'd want to have all my possessions riding on that. But um, they just have a little bit of the eye of the tiger, don't they? A little bit of swagger to them, I think. Um, still some things to prove, right? When it's in a pressure cooker situation, I think, you know, great strides by Josh Allen, but you, you still got to do it. And what happens if you're behind and can they handle two minute and all those things that the real elite quarterbacks can do? We don't know yet, but I think we want to see where it's going to go. Don't we? I mean, I, I feel, I feel good about them. Good choice. Mike, it's always great to hear your voice. Thanks so much for taking the time with us. Hopefully we can connect during the playoffs too. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks, Michael. Mike Sando of The Athletic joining us on 101 ESPN. The Bills, they're fun to watch. They are. You know, one thing that he tweeted about, we didn't get a chance to talk about it, but we have a minute here, is yesterday the 49ers beat writers all tweeted out an answer from head coach Kyle Shanahan about Jimmy Garoppolo. And he said, yes, I do believe Jimmy is going to be our quarterback next year. Five different Beat writers, including our friend Nick Wagner, tweeted that out. Jimmy Garoppolo, Michelle, in his career is twenty-four and eight as a starter, twenty-two and eight in San Francisco. Last year, the 49ers went to the Super Bowl and had the second most points in the league. Baltimore scored more, but the Niners have more points than Drew Brees and the Saints, than Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, than Dak Prescott and the Cowboys, second most in the whole league. I don't, uh, unless people are just totally focused in on the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl, I don't get the Jimmy Garoppolo hate. But maybe they are focused on that moment because it was a pretty important moment. Yeah, but uh, you were, uh, how many guys would, how many fans would love to have their quarterback screw up in the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl? Well, that's a, that's a tricky question because yes, you're there. In you're the, there. You're there in the Super Bowl. You but, give me that. But you, you don't want your quarterback to be the one that screws up. If if I were an NFL team, if if our Dolphins, our Dolphins would okay. go to the Super Bowl and be in the lead in the third quarter, I don't know what's going to happen in the fourth, but they're in the lead in the third after the third quarter of the Super Bowl every single year. I'll take my chances. Yeah. I mean, getting there is most of the battle, right? Getting yeah. to that that point in the game. And it's not like, and their defense was great, but it's not like he was Trent Dilfer or Peyton, you mentioned Peyton Manning with the Broncos. They scored the second most points in the league. He performed. Yeah, he's been effective for them. Yeah. But so, he hasn't been electric. No, and maybe that's maybe that's what you need to be. But was Brady ever really that electric? At times. Yeah, just because they won the games, right? I don't know. He could play some pretty good balls. Well, so can Garoppolo. I mean, there's there's one Tom Brady, but what do you have, 29 touchdown passes? I mean, the guys, I just don't get the hate. I, I think he's better than people give him credit for. I, I would like to have a quarterback that got me to the Super Bowl and led my team to the second most points in the league. And I guess they don't. And he's a guy that Bill Belichick wanted, right? Yeah, right. So obviously, with the greatest of all time, saw something in him. Coming up, we're going to take a look back at 2018 as we look back at the decade here with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. 
We continue looking back at the decade. And now Michelle and I take you back to 2018. And Michelle, definitely a lot of highlights from that year. The Cardinals became one after a rough start. They went into the final week of the season with the chance to be in the playoffs. But the highlight of that season from a news standpoint was that they fired Mike Matheny right before the All-Star break and promoted Mike Schiltz to manager. Doesn't that feel like so long ago? It does. 2018, now that Mike Schultz has been the manager for a couple years, it does seem like a long time. But same same story we just talked about in 2017, that the Cardinals were in it right into the last week of the season. Mm -hmm. And Schultz turned things around. They were a game over 500 when Mike was fired, but things had just gotten stale. That was Mm -hmm. the word that we heard. And so the Cardinals made the change, and things freshened up dramatically under Mike Schultz. And continue to. They do. Meanwhile, for the Blues, they missed the playoffs on the final day of the season. They lost to Colorado. And, Michelle, that was the first inkling of problems for Vladimir Tarasenko. He suffered his first shoulder injury in that finale against Colorado and had to have shoulder surgery. If the Blues would have won that game, he wouldn't have been able to participate in the playoffs. Think about what your mood was as a Blues fan in that exact moment, Randy. Blues missed the playoffs. Vladdy's got a shoulder injury. I can't even a mat. It's hard for me now that we know what has happened to go back to that moment and think about how frustrated and despondent Blues fans must have been. I benched my Blues golf bag for the summer. You did? Yes, I did. (laughs) It was on the bench. It was on the shelf, as it were, until they clinched the playoff spot the next time they clinched the playoff spot. Once they did the following season, then I brought it back up. So you were that upset? Yeah, I was. But think about it. I mean, how many times have we been revisiting over these these past few days when we've been looking back on the way blue seasons have ended? And it's the same story. A team with a lot of talent gets bounced from the postseason. Something happens Mm -hmm. with a star player. It's just what the life of a Blues fan used to be. Yeah. Speaking of losing a star player, Mizzou had recruited Michael Porter Jr., the top recruit in the country. He got hurt, only played in the opener, only played uh, a couple of minutes in the opener. But Mizzou was good enough to overcome that injury and return to the NCAA tournament after a four-year absence in Conzo Martin's first year. They finished 20-13, and but then lost in the tournament. Now, getting Michael Porter Jr. there was a win in itself for Mizzou because your program was getting pub and getting talked about in ways that it never would have had, had he not chosen to go there. But if he would have been healthy and been able to play for that team and been even half of what he was projected to be and Mizzou was really good. Imagine what that would have done for the program. Would have been a game changer, a program changer. By the way, I want to swing back because I think people will be interested to hear what Bill DeWitt said on the day that the Cardinals announced that they were replacing Matheny with Schilt. This is the Cardinal chairman, Bill DeWitt Jr. Unfortunately, I think our club uh, uh, has not played up to its capabilities and it was time for a fresh fresh voice and some new leadership. And I think with Mike Schilt uh, uh, and our new coaches, uh, uh, we have an opportunity to move forward here as we begin the second half after today. Uh, You know, some places winning is uh, just a winning record or even 500 is acceptable. Um, Players have a nice season, go home and get back to their families and so forth. But not in this city, uh, not with this franchise and not with this history and not with our great fans. Uh, Last night 
We had 44,000 people, stormy, rainy night. And um, I know Mo did an event after the game um, with a group, and we were all saying, gee, is anybody going to be there? And he came back down and said, just about everybody was there. I mean, you know how late it got. So that's how much they care, and that's how much we care. Amen. That's how much they care, and that's how much we care. Do they need to start walking the walk a little bit, though? Yeah. It's it's easier not to when you're in a pandemic and you're not mm-hmm. seeing 44,000 people sitting through a rainstorm to watch your team. It's it's easier to but they're they're doing what they need to do from a financial standpoint right now. That's what they're saying that they need to do to hopefully gear up to go for it in another year. But go ahead. No, give me the butt. But that's not ever going to satisfy Cardinal fans. The reality of the situation is never going to satisfy Cardinal fans because of what Bill just said. And he knows the reality of the situation. He knows that he's doing something that is not going to satiate Cardinal Nation. And it's never until they win another championship, it is never going to be enough. No matter what they do, no matter how many times they make the postseason, no matter how many times they're in the NLCS, until they win again, it is never going to be enough. The month after the Cardinals fired Mike Matheny, the PGA Championship, the 100th edition of the PGA, came to St. Louis. A couple of days, and he took them all. Brooks Kepka with a fabulous performance in the win, but the story of the weekend was Tiger Woods. You know, as I was telling Amanda, I, I, the, the people here were so positive. The energy was incredible, but I'm just, just how, the positiveness of that. Uh, everyone was, was willing, you know, every, every shot that everyone hit, there, there was no negative comments. No one was jeering. No one was making snide remarks. Everyone was very positive and uh, they're excited, yeah. Um, they sometimes pick sides, yes, but they were respectful, and um, that's. I, I wish we could play in front of crowds like this, you know, every single week because um, this is a, a true pleasure. BFIG, best fans in golf. Yes, <laughs> Tiger finished in second place, and the fans were willing him on. And in a subsequent interview after the tournament, he talked about how fans were wearing their cardinal clothes and he was wearing his sunday red and he said it was like they were dressed for me and it was so cool but it did change his perspective and he wasn't he wasn't just pandering to the fans there because he has subsequently said in the two years since he's referred to st louis and the fans at the pga championship so we made an impression on tiger woods that will always be one of my Mount Rushmore mo- moments in sports. That event was unlike anything I had ever been to. I probably won't be like at an event like that again. It was just so much happening. It was the way St. Louis showed out mm-hmm. because this is what we do best when a big sporting event comes to town. It was the fact that Tiger almost won and he was on his way to the comeback. It was hearing the roar of the crowd when you're a couple holes over knowing that Tiger was doing something great. It was the community aspect of having so many people in St. Louis there. It was just such a spectacular weekend. It was fantastic. The Cardinals, as we mentioned, went to the final week of the season before missing out on the playoffs, and they needed a superstar quality player. So in December, 
They traded for Paul Goldschmidt from the Arizona Diamondbacks. Yeah, I mean, you come in here as a player, and the first thing that sticks out is the atmosphere here. The fans are, are so great. You know, it's sold out pretty much every night, if not every night. That's the culture here of the fans and the organization. They expect a lot of their players, so it was always a fun place to play. And I don't know if I just uh, imagine myself playing in that, but just enjoyed coming here and, and – uh, appreciate the fans and, and the way this organization you know goes about its business the players that you know now are my teammates it was fun to compete against them and looking forward to, to learning from from all of them and being part of the team and in two years as a member of the cardinals he's been to the postseason twice there you go but not to the place where he hoped they'd be no but having been in arizona i think he's pretty happy with where they are arizona that's the thing about Cardinal fans is... We're spoiled. <laughs> yeah, well, I think people my age that went through the 70s get it. But if you started paying attention in like 2000 or even 97 when McGuire showed up, you just don't understand that only one team a year loses and you can't make the playoffs every single year. It's just, it's not a doable thing. But it's kind of like what we talked about with Yachty, right? Part of what makes him so great is his desire to play all the time, which presents a, a uncomfortable situation sometimes for the manager or the front office. Part of what makes Cardinal baseball so great is the fanatic support that the fans have. And part of that comes with the demand to win. And so you get the fact that fans are going to show up and they're going to buy your mm-hmm. merch and they're going to watch all your games and you're going to get the TV deals. But with that comes a certain level of standards that the fans are going to hold the team to. And it's a shame that the making the playoffs is not a standard that lives up to their expectations. If you ain't first, you're last, Randy. I think that there's a lot of teams that would disagree with that. Uh, because last is the Pirates. If, if Let's see how Cardinal fans do if they have to finish last every year. I just think if your goal is to win the World Series every year and you don't win the World Series, then you didn't meet your goal. So you're telling me making the playoffs but not winning the World Series is the same as winning 65 games? No, of course not. But at the end of the day, I don't think any member in that organization is satisfied or they shouldn't be satisfied with just making the playoffs. They should want they should want to win the World but Series I, every I year. I think they do. That, that's the problem, is everybody wants to win the World Series every year, but only one team can. True. Yeah. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and that's a look back at 2018. Coming up, we'll get things ready with Dan McLaughlin and head towards Scoops with Danny Mac on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Time now for the crossover. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Close to home or close to work. For quality tires and expert auto service, you can always count on Dobbs. With Danny Mac coming up at the top of the hour. Carriker and Smallman closing things out. Dan McLaughlin is here in studio. And Dan, the thing I thought of yesterday when I saw that the Padres and Cubs were way down the tracks for a Darvish trade was how dominant you Darvish was against the Cardinals he in was 2020. Awesome. He, I think he may have been... We didn't see Bauer. That was the Cardinals were lucky in the fact that they did not see... With the uh, being inside the Central Division, we did not see Trevor Bauer. Now, the Reds had great pitching, and uh, for whatever reason, his time in the rotation never popped up against St. Louis, but you Darvish did, Kyle Hendricks did. Hendricks is Cy Young against the Cardinals for whatever mm-hmm. reason. 
And you, uh, Darvish, I thought was going to throw a no-hitter one night against the Cardinals. He was awesome. I actually went back and looked at his numbers this morning and what has made him so good. And, and for whatever reason in Chicago, remember the first year he was hurt. Mm-hmm. The next year he was so-so, but by the end of the year was really good. And then last year was just awesome. And it just... Never was the right fit, it seemed like, for the for the Cubs. You know, he was going to be the, this piece that kind of put them over the top, kind of like John Lester was when they first got John Lester. But looking at the numbers that he had last year, he didn't walk anybody. He finally figured out his control. Um, obviously, he was tipping pitches prior to his time in Chicago. They figured that out with the Houston situation. They they caught him tipping pitches, mm-hmm. um, but he he threw his cutter a ton. He would he had an assortment of pitch, pitches, like six different pitches. But he was throwing strikes. He didn't walk anybody. He just and he could throw a pitch anytime he wanted. He threw it for his strike. Right. He threw his cutter something like forty five fifty percent of the time. He threw a split finger. He would throw his slider, but primarily cutter slider and and whatever you want to call that. But and he was just dominant and throwing a mid to high nineties fastball with great velocity. I mean, the guy was just awesome. And now, to me, he's your number one if you're San Diego, and Snell is your number two, mm-hmm. and then you got Lynette, and then, you know, you look at two years from now, then you get Clevenger, that's four guys. And their number one prospect is one of the top five yes. prospects in baseball, Mackenzie Gore. And if you look at what the Cubs, uh, you know, they Zach Davies, four minor leaguers, and they were ranked between 11th and 16th on MLB.com's Padres prospect list and they're teenagers so it wasn't like they broke the bank with it you know what I mean it wasn't mm-hmm. a big I, this is a salary dump totally. if you're the Cubs it's just a salary dump and from the Padres perspective how big or small do you think that gap is now between the Padres and the Dodgers certainly tightens it I, I guess if you're the Padres you're saying okay eight years is enough of the Dodgers winning that division mm-hmm. and if we're going to do it this is the time to do it they it's AJ Prowler, man. If he's going to go for it, he he goes for it. Yeah. I mean, you look at Machado, you look at Hosmer. He got Tommy Pham. Uh, now these this pitcher, the pitchers that he's gotten, and if you look even last year at the trade deadline, he went for it with the catching he 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 got, and even in this deal, Caratini basically is the personal catcher for you, Darvish. Mm-hmm. So he he got the guy that he's comfortable with. So. I do think to answer your question, in my opinion, the, the gap is really tightened, and they're so much fun to watch. I mean, they're the Padres are such a fun team to watch. I, I think the the gap is tightened considerably. It'll be interesting to see what they do at the back end of their games with their bullpen situation. But man, they they are a fun team to watch. I think that's going to be the biggest difference between those two teams. Yes, and I said that to Michelle earlier. It, to me, and especially with the Dodgers going out and getting Knable, and they just they picked up another reliever too, right? Over the course of the last couple of weeks, I think they signed somebody else. But their depth in the bullpen is greater than yes. the Padres' depth in the bullpen. I I think. Mookie Betts is a, a, an X factor in the two franchises. Mm-hmm. But I, I think, for the most part, the offenses are going to probably score about the same amount of runs. Both starting rotations are are very good and very deep. But I do think the bullpen advantage still goes to the Dodgers. I think the Dodgers will miss Justin Turner more than, they, than people realize, even though he's 36. But mm-hmm. he is the heart and soul, in a lot of ways, of that team. I mean, they... He's a good player, clearly, but um, a leader for many, many years and a money player, too. I I think they're going to miss him. 
I think on the flip side of this, from a Cardinal perspective, this deal, where is who? who's going to win this division Standing now? in place is a great thing. I mean, holy smokes. Who wins this division? Now that Darvish is out, I, I, I think before it's all said and done, where is Chris Bryant going to finish up this year with the Cubs? Javi Baez. I don't think anybody's going to really want Jason Hayward. I don't know if they can move him. Kimbrell has to get off to a good start. Maybe somebody would want him at the deadline. Rizzo, I would imagine he's the guy that mm-hmm. stays. And the, the the player potentially with the most value, in my opinion, would be Contreras. But they just traded Caratini. Um, I, I don't know if there's a clear-cut favorite in the Central. It it's, looks like it's the weakest division in baseball. And that's why, if you're the Cardinals, you still have a shot because of their pitching. Right. I agree with that. Even minus Wayno, minus Yachty. You still have a shot. It's just no clear-cut favorite, period. It's remarkable. It really is. The one team I know nothing about is Milwaukee, by the way. I think they... Milwaukee actually has a really good shot to win it. Mark my yeah. words. No, I, I'm, I, I, You know why? Especially if they don't trade Hater. Think about yep, the back end yep. of their bullpen with Devin Williams, who is just awesome, the St. Louis kid. And if they keep Hater, now you've shortened your games. You're going to get Lorenzo Kane back. Now you do lose Braun. I, I'm assuming he's not going to come back. Mm-hmm. We'll see what they do with, you know, Jed Jerko had a good year. But um, Kane coming back makes them a better team. I'm going to. I'm just going to say that it was an outlier last year for. Yelich, uh, Yelich. Uh, so you, you you say he comes back to form, but man, I don't know who who run. There is no clear. Uh, clearly, the Reds are not where they were uh, from last year with all the right. changes that they've had. There's just no clear cut favorite. So why not the Cardinals? Why not us? Why not? <laughs> That's the shirt. Why not us? Sell them, Randy. Get the model. Get it. Get it. Uh, Trademark. See myself yes. playoffs. Playoffs, there you go. Just get in, baby. <laughs> just get in. Hey, we've seen a couple Cardinals teams just right. get in and get hot <laughs> yeah. at the right 06, time. 06, you know, why not? Well, you never, you know. never know. That's Well, why not, you know? What do we got coming up on Scoops? Well, we're going to talk about this. Ryan Fagan of the Sporting News will be my guest. Um, he has an interesting article. I hadn't thought of this. I don't necessarily agree with him. I'm curious what you guys think. But he he pointed out that there may not be a... Hall of Famer this year voted in. Interesting. I think Schilling gets in. I do think he's, he's closer. Yeah, he, he's right around seventy percent, seventy-one percent. You need seventy-five. I don't think the steroid guys were around sixty, sixty-one percent. I don't think they're going to get in. Um, Omar Vizquel, I think, was around fifty-one, fifty-two percent. So he's edging closer. I think Roland's going to make a big jump, mm-hmm. but. Um, this would be the first time, I think, since 2013 that there would not be a player that gets in. Wouldn't be necessarily bad because we didn't have the celebration last best, from yeah. last year. But um, I, I do think Schilling gets in, despite the fact that he was, let's just say, less than kind to the um, writers mm-hmm. with what he's had to say publicly about him, And they're the ones that are going to vote him in. Um, but it could be that he doesn't get in, at least this year. I would think his postseason pedigree... If he doesn't have a postseason pedigree, I don't think there's any way he gets in. Agreed. But I think the postseason is what puts him over the top. I'm really curious about Roland. I think Roland. Um, did you do you guys read Ace of Spader? Yeah. Okay. Did you see the article he wrote about Scott yeah. Roland recently? It is fascinating. If you get a chance, read it about how he compared 
third baseman, and then compared it to shortstops, his numbers. Mm-hmm. He should be in. Yeah. I mean, if you he's look really at really underrated. Oh, man. And under, underregarded. So I, I think he's kind of on the same trajectory that Larry Walker was on. So I, if he makes a big jump this year, yeah. I think he'll get in eventually. It's going to take a little yeah. time, but I think he gets in. By the way, the other reliever I was thinking of was Dodgers signed Tommy Canely, who they yes, won't have this year. Right. Uh, he had Tommy John, but they're paying him seven fifty this year, and then I think $2 million that's right. the following year. But they got Corey Canable from the Brewers, and then you have Canely for 2022, you're building your bullpen up pretty well. Okay, now this year. here's the big question: When do we have baseball? What's your, what's your best guess? So here we we're not to the I'm first go, of the year. I'm going to go May first. May first. That's my guess. May first is a pretty good guess. I'm going to say end of April because I want to project positivity and I want it sooner rather. Well, that's kind of May first. Yeah. So, but I'm just giving yeah. it a little bit. A little earlier. You get, how about 162 games? I don't think so. I don't think so either. 144. Oh, that's a good number. 1995 season. So I, I'm going to go uh, May 1st, 162. Really? Uh, yeah. Sure, why not? And then a neutral site World Series? No. Uh-uh. Wow, that's a rush bold. to get in 162. That's going to be, be great, bold. though. Yeah. I, I want to see it. Looking forward to scoops. I have no Thank you. credibility on what I'm saying, but hey, just the- taking a stab at it. <laughs> why not? Just I, I talk to people every day about this mm-hmm. stuff. Everybody has their own opinion. Mm-hmm. And they're all varying opinions that have um, basically no credibility with those statements, too. Right. Yeah. yeah. And to save you the texts that'll come in. Yes. Uh, I'm sure that O.J. Simpson will make a prediction, too. <laughs> he'll take he'll take a stab at it. Thank you. Did he again every week with you, Randy? There's a sharp guy. He, there's your death. Your death notice comes in every week. <laughs> Did you get I a lot it. of those while I was oh, gone, yeah. Dan? Yeah, I'm sure. I, I make a point yeah. of it to point it out. And Randy makes his OJ statements, mm-hmm. as he says, takes a stab at it. Uh, sharp what, guy. What's, sharp sharp guy. guy. Let's cut this off. Cut it off. <laughs> Awful. Thanks to our producer engineer, Tanner Hendrickson. Thank you. And a great job, as always, by Michelle Smallman. Thank you. Thanks, Randy. I'll see you tomorrow. And we appreciate you tuning in, texting, and being a part of the show. Go mm-hmm. ahead, Dan. Say it. Mm-mm. Mm-hmm. Okay, until tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman Podcast, powered by I Promise. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The College Football Playoff Committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget BetOnline for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts. Winter season is here, and Discount Tire wants you to stay safe on the road. Get 30% shorter average wait time when you buy and book online at DiscountTire.com. Discount Tire, let's get you taken care of.